At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming up on episode 339 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Toyota Crown, the McLaren 750S, Dodge Hornet, VW ID7, an update on Jeep's status, the uh, first drives of the Honda Prologue and the Ram 1500 for 2025, the uh, Ineos Fusilier EV, U.S.-built EV9s and tax credits, and all that and more, including a bunch of listener questions. This is episode 339 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abual-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeham from The Road Reflected. And I am Roberto Balda from SAE International. And uh, let's see. Let's start with Robbie. You had uh, you drove something interesting this week. I did drive something interesting. I drove the brand new McLaren 750S. Ooh. Yeah, I know. So uh, you might remember back in 2017, the uh, McLaren 720S came out, and everyone Was it that loved. That long ago. Yeah, I know. Wow. wow. I remember driving it. I'm like, that wasn't 2000. It was probably 2018 when I drove it. It might have been 2017. Either way, wow. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Uh, so, yeah. So, I drove the brand new McLaren 50, 750S. They did a lot of fancy things to this vehicle. Uh, they they um, they reduced the weight. They uh, – um, a lot of things. Um, so, like the – for example, the seats, each seat, like the little, you know, the racing seats, the center seats, uh, they're about 38.6 pounds lighter each. Each? That's wow. actually a lot of weight on a vehicle each. like that. Yeah. Each. That's wow. like 80 pounds. What were they made of before? Did they have like gold I, bars tucked underneath there or something? I don't know. How do you cut that much weight out of the seats? Wow. Magic. It, well, here's the thing. So I talk to McLaren uh, whenever I have a chance to drive their car because they are just the nerdiest of the nerds when it comes to building <laughs> their car. And I've talked to and I talked to the the president of Americas and the lead engineer, and both of them, I was like, so what what happens? Do you do you try to while you're working on this, where do you stop? At what point do you say, okay, we need to stop? And they're like, that's really difficult because we're all super passionate, and you'll just have people just wait, wait, wait. We can we can do a little bit here. Oh wait, we can do a little bit here, <laughs> and we can save four pounds here. Let's, let's save four four pounds on the exhaust. Let's save you know thirty pounds on the wheels. Let's save you know let's make the wind the the rear wing twenty percent larger so you have more downforce and more stopping force, but also let's make it lighter. Let's you know that's those are all the crazy things that they're doing over there at McLaren to make that vehicle uh, super quick. It has a uh, twin turbo V8, uh, um, and of course it's a mid-engine rear-wheel drive because it's McLaren and you want to be cool. Uh, it is fantastic. Let me, <laughs> that's, that's all I'm going to, the, the, you know, the, uh, oh, come on, don't hold back. Tell us what you really think. Yeah, don't I, really, I really like this, this vehicle. And at one point it's, you know, they're they're both under three. So there's two versions. Oh gosh, I didn't even say this. There's a coupe or a coupe, and a spider, and the spider has uh you know a, a retractable hood or or a roof, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it only adds a retractable hood. Has a retractable hood. I mean, if you if, if you're speaking British, then it's a hood. It's not. I a guess. Yeah. I guess. I've been hanging out with British people. Uh, it has a re- retractable roof. And typically when you do that, that means you're going to add hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of mechanicals and, and whatnot and, and braces and all this stuff to make it so that people can drive around with the wind in their hair and the sun in their eyes and sunscreen in their glove compartment. Uh, 113 pounds more between the two cars. That's the difference not, in weight. It's not bad. I mean, that, yeah, that's, so, that's pretty modest. Oh. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you make the whole thing out of carbon fiber. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. (laughs) We don't really have to do a lot of like (laughs) torsion, you know, the, you know, the flexibility, what happens when you, when you create a convertible is what happens is that you remove something that reduces flex is when you, what happens when you make a convertible, you're taking, you're taking pieces of, 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 of metal or plastic or glass. I, I hope no one has a plastic roof, but you know, maybe carbon fiber, but you're taking that off the vehicle. So now when it turns and when it's doing things, there's a little bit of, you know, you get a little bit more chassis rotation. Well, because everything is carbon fiber, essentially, they have this carbon fiber, like bathtub that you're sitting in. Um, it, it, they're like, yeah, we didn't really have to do anything. There, of, course, uses, of course, there there is one slight, ever so slight downside to using carbon fiber. What might that be? Uh, it's not inexpensive. It is not cheap. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're looking at a McLaren, you're not, you know. Yeah. If you're, you're cross shopping a McLaren <laughs> without a house, <laughs> like, ooh, second house McLaren, second house McLaren. Or, or in my case, first house McLaren, first house McLaren. First house McLaren. Any house McLaren. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh yeah, it has a instead of using a hydraulic system for the uh, roof because it's too loud. Uh, they used eight little eight little motors that move it back. It'll work up to like thirty miles an hour. All that is just a fancy way of me saying that I love convertibles. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live. At some point in your life, uh, my life philosophy is that you should own a convertible, even if it's for a few months. I I you totally know? concur. Just you know, even for a few months of your life, just own a convertible. Drive around. You can see everywhere. You can, yeah. No, it's the best. I've owned two convertibles in my life. I'm, I'm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's. I guess, but. I live in New Hampshire. I use it for twenty minutes. Where 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 does Sam live? Seattle in Michigan, so I don't have much of a leg to stand. Yeah, I'm like, where does Sam live again? Yeah, I mean, the, the sun is shining today. It's supposed to hit 50 degrees this afternoon. So after we're done recording, I am planning on taking out the Miata. Bam. I have uh, – it was 12 here for some absurd reason in New Hampshire because that is well, that is cold for the end well, of the it, it was it was 22 when I took the dogs out for a walk this morning, yeah. but it is supposed to hit 50 this afternoon. We're supposed to get to 40. I'm just oh. looking at my watch. We're whopping 40, 40 degrees right well, now. Well, 40 so. degrees, that's good enough. That's, you know, that's, that's good 30, enough. That's warm enough for summer tires. 3-0 right now, though. And, yeah, yeah, any, any, summer tires. Any, any, <laughs> TJ any, would say. Any, 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 any car you know, with a heater. Can keep can keep you reasonably warm at forty degrees ambient temperature. You're good yep. enough. Just put on yep. yeah, put on an extra layer. Put on some gloves and a hat. It's good. Boom, boom. I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> I did, like I've done. I have actually. I did uh, at some point. I had to. There was a, what's the Lexus? The fancy Lexus? It's the convertible. The, the oh SE. Yes, we. I got that, and there was it was up for voting for something, and they, they said, "Do you want it?" I said, "You guys, it's January." They said, "Do you want it for a weekend?" So I have pictures of myself in this in my winter coat, winter gloves, winter hat, snowbanks that are taller than the car. I'm driving it. I'm like, bring it. Yeah. See, see, so, that's yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, you have to take advantage of these opportunities. Exactly. Yes. When they come, you have to yes. take advantage. Of them. So. So yeah. the 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 so the price differential between the the coupe and the spider is, um, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, relatively speaking, uh, isn't that much. Um, and most of their orders How grand right now is are, the scheme. Uh, so the the starting price, the total the total recommended MSRP. Mm. Um, this includes uh, transportation and everything. Transportation and port processing charges. That's what that's what <laughs> McLaren calls them. Uh, three hundred thirty-one thousand seven hundred forty dollars. That's the uh, the coupe. Uh, for the uh, the spider, three hundred fifty-two thousand seven hundred forty dollars. So it's only like nineteen thousand dollars more. So you know, I could I could get either one of those for slightly less than the current Zillow estimate of the value of my home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really comes down to like you know what kind of life do you want to live, Sam? Yeah, it depends. If, if you want to be comfortable, if, or do you want to have fun? <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go with I'll go with fun. All right. I feel like asking what your wife. No, wants. no, just, just make the make a decision. That's that's always worked out for every man ever. Uh, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So we had, a, had an opportunity to drive this thing in the uh, the Valley of Fire in Nevada near Las Vegas. We drove it around, outstanding. I drove the uh, the Spider, and then they took us to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. We got to drive it on. The, we drove the coupe on the track, um, and uh, it was. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's something. Let me tell you. <laughs> it, it's so light and nimble. It's like so at one point as I was coming out of a corner, it reminded me of a motorcycle. Just for like a like really? oh wow. Just the the lightness and the just the the power and the power to weight ratio just like everything felt just like oh, oh wow. And so it it is a uh, a force to be reckoned with for those who are Big McLaren fans. Um, I did get 16 miles per gallon while driving around. Woohoo! At some point, that's uh, they're not, they're, not they're, shabby. That's not their combined yeah. is 17. I got stuck up by a lot of people uh, while driving around, and I stopped a lot. And yeah, so uh, it is. It it's it's uh, so fast. Oh my gosh! Zero to 60 in 2.7 seconds. Both vehicles. It feels like an EV. It has that instant go of an ev because it doesn't weigh anything you get yeah. the twin turbos you get the v8 you get all that displacement plus some turbos and it just and and zero and you know under three thousand pounds and it just goes so it has that 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 nearly instant um acceleration of an ev which is sort of weird uh because you know you after you drive evs for a while then you drive a gas car and it doesn't matter which one you drive supercar regular car sports car when you put the your foot on the gas there's that little like there's that beat there's a beat before you go mm -hmm. And EVs are just like, ah, I go. Yeah. Uh, well, this... I, I just pulled up the curb weight on the 750S and shows that it is 3,062 to 3,170 pounds. So that is like a full ton less than the vehicle I'm going to talk about later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A ton. And, and it has a lot more power than that vehicle. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a... Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, if you're if you're listening to the podcast and you can afford a McLaren, well, first of all, you should be a Patreon supporter. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nicely done, Robbie. I'm just saying that. That's all I'm saying. Um, but no, I I, I really enjoy this vehicle. Um, I don't want to say it's my favorite 
supercar because they're all a little different. They all have something special. You can't pick a favorite but, child. You can't pick. A can't pick a favorite car. child. But this okay. this the 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 spider. I had you know headroom and legroom. That just makes me happy. You know, um, that's, that's, that's one of my issues with the, the Lamborghinis is if I get in the Lamborghini, uh, spider, I'm like essentially looking at the, uh, top of the, <laughs> the windshield, <laughs> the windshield header. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so the McLaren 750S, uh, a lot of power really quick weighs like, a, uh, about as much as your first bicycle, um, a 10 speed from the eighties. <laughs> um, you should, if you're again billionaire, um, go out and buy one, and also, you know, just give us some money. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Nicole. Yes. What do you? What did you have? I had a couple of things. So I had uh, what I'm driving that is still sitting in my driveway right now is the Dodge Hornet, um, which I love, but I actually really hate. I, I like this car, but I hate hornets. I like so, have, so, and every time I see a little, I'm like, I, so so it's not it's not oh, the, the Dodge bug. Hornet you hate, hey. but you hate them. You hate them flying the flying I hate hornets. The flying hornets, like, and so you got. Oh. Some, oh, I don't like saying I'm in a hornet. I just I don't like the name of this it's particular. A, what's the difference between a hornet and a wasp? Hold oh, on, you guys keep talking. There, well, there's a lot up. of different. I'm not kinds googling of that because I don't want to look at them, gentlemen. Yeah, you, you, there's you a talk. lot of lot of varieties of hornets and wasps. You know what? Um, they all are. They're all little angry mothers who just. No, they're not. That is actually bees? not true. No, honeybees are not angry. Hornets and wasps are not. Mean. Not not all honeybees wasps. Are nice. No, there there are a number of wasps that are actually very docile. And as long as you, every as long, wasp I've ever seen has like it. Like I'm sitting halfway across a parking lot. They look angry. And he's like, "Oh, I'm coming for you, woman!" And they like come after me. I don't like what. Don't like flying the, sticky. Like the the most the most common ones that people know of, you know, are the one the yellow and black. The uh, yellow jacket—that's like a yellow. And, well, there's actually two that look virtually identical. One is the yellow I jacket. Know this, but okay, go ahead. One is the yellow jacket. The yeah. other one is the paper wasp. They they're very they're almost impossible to tell apart visually. Okay. One way you can tell them apart is if you see. If you see it fly into a hole in the ground, a burrow in, in the ground, that's a yellow jacket. Those, Those you mean. you do not want to mess with. They they're are mean. mean. They're angry. They're aggressive. Paper wasps, on the other hand, are they're, they're the ones that make those big nests that hang from your eaves and, or in the trees. trees. Yeah. Or underneath the, the lid of your grill. Um, you know, so the, but they are actually very docile. And you know, can I, I have stood in the in the middle of a no. swarm of paper wasps. No. no problem at all. No, we had okay. So we had paper wasps. If you, apparently, if you don't open your umbrella on your deck fast enough every year, if you say leave it closed for a week or so, wasps mm -hmm. think that's a great place to live. Oh, I know. Yeah, I don't want shady up, spots. I opened it up, and I'm like, "What the heck?" And I'm like, "I'm out." And they were, like, they were all angry. So no. Mm -mm. Well, no. you destroyed their home. I didn't. It was still up there. I had to call a man to destroy their home because I was but, afraid. Oh. Like, pa paper wasps are actually really important as pollinators. They're, they're great pollinators, just like with bees. All these creatures, as long as they're far away from me. So, all is it? All hornets are wasp, but not all wasps. So anyway, a hornets of wasp. Yeah, okay. so it's one of the many varieties of wasp. Okay, there you so, go. That's all. I there's also these it. little green wasps that are also very, very you know. They're they're harmless, but no. they're they're actually really good predators. <laughs> they're 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 great no. for they're great for doing pest control in your garden. Having no, you want to have those around. I they, do not want any of them around, Sam. I don't care how nice they are to okay. you. 
I want none of them around, but I will right. take one that's parked in my driveway. <laughs> so I have the Dodge Hornet. It came out last year. And it's, if anyone doesn't know what this is, because weirdly, I feel like nobody knows this car exists based on my experiences this week. Uh, it's a crossover from Dodge. <laughs> And it's sort of like expanding them into the, everybody has a crossover. Why don't we? So they had one. Um, Word. I, I took two different people that like are a wide variety of cars. I drive and know a little bit about cars. Both of them, huge Dodge fans. One is on their third charger. The other one has had two challengers in a charger. Neither of them even knew that the Hornet exists. They're like, what's wow. this Dodge? They saw the Dodge logo when they sat down next to me. If no one knows it exists, they should just bring the Magnum back. That's all I'm saying. There you go. So it was like, hey, everybody, this is a Dodge. It's a crossover. So it's available as a plug-in hybrid or it's available as a gas vehicle. The gas kind of came out first. They both technically, I think, were last year, but I feel like the hybrid was sort of late delivery. Um, So I have the hybrid. Uh, It gives you about 30 miles-ish of all electric range. Um, and it comes with standard all-wheel drive and about 288 horsepower, um, and you can get extra. So if you, let me get this right, you put it in sport mode and you pull both paddle shifters, I think it is, I'm trying to remember the, then you get an extra 30 boost, like, boom, you get extra horsepower for a little bit. Boom. Boom. But like, okay, if you it'll still sting you. Yeah, it'll, st- oh, stop. Hey. <laughs> you, get, <laughs> you get a little extra boost, I guess, if you wanted to just have fun with it, or maybe you need to pass someone and you really need an aggressive amount of power, like to get around somebody in traffic, sure that will work. Uh, but it's not something you're just going to sit in that all the time. So basically 288 horsepower. Uh, there's two trims in this, the RT and RT plus, and the RT plus gets some extra, just looks prettier. It's not like horsepower wise. I don't think it, there's a difference, um, but you get for the base 41.4 for the RT plus 46.4. Uh, so it's not outrageously expensive, but Again, it's not especially cheap. Um, it has a nice interior. I really like that it has, um, and I think this is a package on the version that I have. It has black Alcantara seats, but there's it's like two let they're perforated. So they're like almost imagine two thin layers together, and one is black and one is red. The red's on the bottom. So in the perforations, it it's red. So it's like little red dots. So you could it, it gives this nice visual, sporty, fun contrast when you open the door. And they're comfortable and they're sort of heavily bolstered um, because it's supposed to be a fun little sporty little dodge. Um, and it is, I mean, it it fills that, it 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 does that. It's comfortable. There's plenty of room. Um, Russ has been in front at his six foot self. My daughter's been sitting behind him and it hasn't been squished. Not super roomy. I mean, this is still crossover size. Compact. Compact. Compact Right. So two people in back, absolutely hundred percent. No problem. Three in back short trips. You don't want to do three for longer trips. Um, and I liked it. Um, it has low kind of lowish on cargo room. I would say compared to the segment, it's only about 22.9 behind the weir weir rear seats um the wheel with seats uh there's also a 10.25 inch infotainment screen and a 12.3 inch digital instrument cluster so it has some nice little amenities to it um i i like this overall um one here's my one weird thing and i this wasn't i don't know that it was broken but it's strange that happened to me so many times so you know how sometimes in a vehicle and you guys have probably both experienced this with a safety tech if the light or the glare hits things just right mm-hmm. for a half a second your collision warning goes off or your lane keep goes off it'll give you a little warning like this is not working it happens in snowy weather too all the time sam things sensors get covered with snow and ice and until either it falls off or until you clear it off 
those systems let you know, hey, we're not working right now because we can't see enough of the road to work. It happened to me at least a half a dozen times driving this car from the sun, the glare of the sun. Oh, I had that yeah, happen with me on a Tesla. It was it was more uh, it was weird. Oh, more. and uh, the first time I drove the Super Cruise with the so, Cadillac, this like, was, it drove straight into the sun, and it's like, whoa, settle yeah, down, buddy. This I think. was more than any time I've ever. Like it was enough that at first I thought, why did that just turn off? And then I realized it was the glare of the sun. It I started paying attention. Then I counted it over a half dozen times. It was like I think seven times that I counted, but it was more than that. Before I was like, why does this keep happening? It wasn't quite registered. It was happening so frequently either. And it was sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening when the sun was just the right, but happened a lot. So I don't know what is with. I had that happen last year with the, uh, the Nissan Aria. Yeah. I was testing out the, the pro pilot assist version two, Mm -hmm. um, driving straight into the morning sun. Um, you know, it would repeatedly say, you know, give me some error, you know, the the sensors were blocked, you know, you need to clean the sensors. It was basically just the camera was cameras being blinded the front facing cameras are being blinded by the sun you know as soon as you know as soon as you're on a facing a slightly different direction um or sun gets a little bit higher up in the sky it it goes away but yeah Yeah. it it is it is an issue and it's one of the challenges with relying on cameras for Mm -hmm. these types of systems uh is that you know cameras visible light cameras can be obscured by the sun Right. Uh, as why there's several companies that are working on um, infrared cameras um, to augment um, the uh, the visible light cameras, um, so that you know they they can filter out that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I mean it, it. You can get it on any car. It's not even a type of car a style or a price point. It can happen on the cheapest car. It can mm-hmm. happen on the most expensive car. I just felt like it happened, and it could truly be that too time- many times. Well, it also could be the time of year, which I know sounds like a cop out, but certain times of year, the glare and the sun, it, it, it can be very, very bad. And you feel like you're constantly like in the evenings, it's hitting you just right. Or in the mornings, it's always, and it might be the time of year that I'm driving that it's just, okay. I mean, different different oh. times of the year, especially in Northern, northern right? regions, you know, the sun is lower in the sky. The and angle so is very different. More, and it's- greater likelihood that you're going to hit that. So I'm I'm wondering if that's part of it, but that was my only true negative. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like it's constantly giving me warnings on the dashboard. And weirdly, my key fob's about to die. (laughs) I got a warning. I've never, I didn't know this happened. Do you know this happens? If the battery in your key fob is low, it gives you the like battery and key fob is low. I've I've had, we've had that happen on our Civic. Oh. um, But I mean, you know, we've had the Civic for almost seven years now. Yeah. And I think the first one, the first of the fobs, the battery died probably about four or five years in. Uh, and it's just, you know, you just pop it open. It's just one of those little coin cells. So yeah. So it. this one um, has 12,000 miles on this car and the key fob battery is low. So I don't know what happened. I mean, theoretically. Is it someone's key pocket and just being pressed the whole could time? Could have been pressed on it. So I don't know. But I never, I've never had a car where the key fob was old enough, I guess, to die. And I was like, oh, it gives you a little warning in the dashboard or the instrument cluster. That's kind of convenient. Well, it's, it's probably also... <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's a press car, so it's probably been used by people shooting videos and opening and closing the doors and the tailgate and everything exactly. else. hundred times. times. So. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a complaint. It was more like, oh, I didn't even know that you got a notice in the instrument cluster because right. I've never happened to have a key fob in my pocket that got to that point. So, so uh, you know, the, the, the Tenali uh, or rather the Hornet, um, you know, came, <laughs> came, came into existence because they developed the Alfa Romeo Tenali. 
Uh-huh. And Dodge executives said, oh, we need a small crossover in our lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Just so they, that they, car. They, they took it, put, <laughs> put a grill it. that looks kind of like the grill on the you know front fascia on the Durango, mm-hmm. scaled it down, fitted onto a Tenali, um, and pissed off the guys in Italy yep. uh, to no end. Uh, and they, yeah. they did make a few other changes, like uh, you know, on the Tenali, the uh, stop-start button, uh, as with all Alfa Romeos, is on the steering wheel in the, yes. the lower uh, lower left quadrant, uh, just below the, the left-hand steering wheel spoke. But on the Hornet, they put the they put that on the center console where the uh, drive mode switch is in the Tenali, and they mm-hmm. put the sport mode button on the Hornet. Also, the tuning's a little bit different between the two. The driving, yeah, a little bit, a little, yeah, not not markedly, but they're a little different. Oh, that was the only other thing that I find weird, and that's not, it's because you said Tenali, and I remember it really driving me nuts when I drove that. The paddle shifters mm-hmm. are gigantic. Yes, they're they're huge. So what happens is when you have your hands in the steering, you're driving, and you go to hit the turn signal, you normally don't need to move your hands. You can just move your fingers almost. Just move your fingers out, and you can turn the turn signal. You can't because if you move your fingers back, you whack them. On the paddle shifters, so you have to like. Oh, are they not the ones that go with the wheel? Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're, they're mounted the on wheel. the column, so they're, uh, they're static. So when you move your fingers to, oh, those like, are the worst. Like the steering wheel, like if you just want to do the quick signal, like I'm turning, changing lanes, you're not really turning it on. You can't because as you go to move your hand, you've the number of times I flicked my fingers into that, I'm like son of a gun. So I feel like oh. those are not. They need to be a little shorter and a little further in so that when you want to use the paddle shifters, you can. But when you just want to hit the turn signal, you can do that. Like or, a very tiny or it's thing on the wheel. Crazy. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be. Because if you're turning, let's say you're turning, you're taking a hard turn. You need to shift up or down for whatever reason. You Let's say you need a downshift to come out of a, as you're coming out of a corner. You can't I, with, the, with those. The wheel? I can, are they mounted? The, it's not the where it's mounted. It's the size. It's oh, just, they're just too big. Too, they're just too big. They're both they're they're too big and they're too long. Like they need to be yeah, short. That's that's because they're they're mounted on the column. So they, they don't they don't I, move with the wheel. I was trying to remember, like I don't even know. So remember. as you turn the wheel, you know, regardless, you know, anything less than 90 degrees, you can still hit Oh, the, so you can still paddles. get them. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, I don't like this. They need they're they're too big, they're in the way. And I suppose like many things, when you drive a car long enough, some of its quirks you get used to. Um, but I have literally driven the Tonali quite a bit. This first time I think I've had this is alone, but like every single time <laughs> smacked my nails on that, on that paddle oh. uh, shifter. So again, small little first word problems, but I guess you don't really want to have to deal with that. So. Yeah. And how, how much okay. was this uh, Hornet that you had? Oh, I, um, this, the, I had the RT, which starts at 41.4. Um, I think there was, I, I'm pretty sure that I had some additional packs. I was trying to build it and I was in a little trouble figuring out exactly what I had versus what, what is standard. Um, so I'm probably as equipped. Mine was probably, I'm getting betting like a couple thousand dollars more than yet, but the RT starts the base trim 41.4 and the RT plus is 46.4 and it gets like leatherette seats and a little, but I kind of like these. I honestly, I like the seats in this better than the leatherette. This just looks cool and fun. A little bit less than the McLaren. Just a skosh. <laughs> but you know what? McLaren has the uh, paddles on the wheel. See? That's so as you're going on, you're going on a track, you're on the road. Boom, bam, 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 bam. Roughly $100,000 extra, you can get your paddle shifters in the right spot. <laughs> uh, well... Three hundred thousand. Three hundred. Sorry, sorry. What am yeah. I thinking? <laughs> yeah. One house extra. <laughs> One house for the price of a house. They'll put your paddle shifters in the correct location. Bam. Yeah, I, I had the Hornet GT last summer, and that's the mm-hmm. the non hybrid one. That's just the the two liter turbo. 
Right. And that one didn't have the uh, the paddles on it. Got it. So they didn't have that problem. Yep. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. So what else did you drive? Well, I also drive, drive, drove something kind of fun. So I am a juror for the World Car of the Year Awards, which means we have cars to vote on that are from all over the world, some of which are either not out in the U.S. or never going to be in the U.S. Uh, there is one that was up for a bunch of awards that <clears throat> is going to be here, but we haven't gotten it yet. The Volkswagen ID7, uh, they had it, they brought one, one, a single <laughs> Volkswagen ID7 to the World Car Test Drives in California at Pasadena back in, when was the LA Auto Show? November? November. November. Yes. But they also said, hey, would you like to actually have a little bit more time in this? We can give it to you for three days. We'll deliver it. You drive three it for days. Day, we'll take it back. So they gave it to us for three days. They So I said, yes, I would like more time in it. Because so, I got like 30 seconds looking at it in Pasadena because everybody wanted to drive it. So they trucked one up in a little enclosed truck from New York City, brought it up to me, had it for three days, put it back in the truck, drove it away. Drove it away. So, and this was actually, the thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, frog in my throat. There's, this is the Euro spec version of it. I don't know how many people know there is a difference. Like it can have the same exact name in multiple countries, but it's a little bit different sometimes from country to country. Sometimes because of regulations, they drive a little differently because they tune them differently. Like we're saying the Hornet and the Tonale are tuned a little differently. You can get different tunings. So there are some differences between what you get in Europe and what you get in the US, even if the model has the exact same name. So this is technically a Eurospec model. In fact, I had European plates on the front. It had a, a Michigan plate on the back and a <laughs> plate on the front. It was really freaky. So I had this for three days. So this is an EV. It'll be coming out the last half of the year in the US. They're saying Q3 as a 2025 model. Um, and it's a sedan, but it's a hatchback. It looks for all the world like a sedan. You'd swear it's a sedan, but it actually has a hatchback. It's nice and roomy. Um, I enjoy driving this. I had it for a very short time, but it's, you know, it was responsive and I don't have a lot of specs. Like they don't have U.S. specs. They have a lot of European specs, but they don't have anything finalized for U.S. specs because I reached directly to Volkswagen and they said, this is what we can give you. And what they could give us was, is that they are targeting 300 plus miles of range in the United States. Um, they're going to have, it's getting a full leatherette interior inside and the fancy glass roof. There's this glass roof on this that actually is where you can make it either opaque or translucent. Boop, boop. You can flip it back and forth with the touch of a little button, um, so, which is kind of nice if you want the light from a roof, but you in glaring sun, it's not horrifically bright. You can sort of tone it down without having to close it entirely. I was debating whether that roof would stay for the U.S. because but they say it will, because if you do like a price comparison for what it's on sale in Europe and what it's on sale here, it'd be about 70K in the U.S. And no one's going to pay 70K for a Volkswagen sedan. Well, keep in mind that that European pricing includes their value added taxes and stuff. Right. So, yeah. So, but when you transfer it out, so I, I, I would say we are safe in saying it's probably going to be around 50 grand to start in the U.S., um, that's probably a good bet. So it's not, again, not outrageously expensive, but it's, it's not a cheap 
Volkswagen. Um, I drove what they tell me is going to be equivalent to the top trim that we'll get in the U.S. And it has like adaptive damping and 21-inch wheels. Um, so it's it, it was, you know, for Volkswagen, it had a more premium feel to it. Like Volkswagen is not a premium. They're not a fancy brand. They're not like trying to be a Mazda that gives you this sort of like luxury light kind of experience. But it was actually really nice interior and it had nice details. It had this like blue piping trim all along the inside and some blue lighting. It really looked good and it drove nicely. I enjoyed driving this. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a good car for the the one day of actual driving that I had with it. I enjoyed it. And it was really roomy because Russ again sat up front. Kit sat in the back. He's over six feet. He's he's a giant like Robbie and my daughter's average height. The two of them sat one behind the other and it was plenty of room. Not even like, oh, she's tight. Her knees are right against the seat. Mm-hmm. Plenty of room, even with that sort of slopity roof line it has for the hatchback. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed my time driving this. There were only thing that I didn't really like is they, they do have a large touch screen on this. Um, and it is a great, I want to say it's about 15 inches. It's a large touchscreen that they have, but they put packed all the controls into it. It's the latest version of the Volkswagen system. They put everything into the touchscreen, including the vents. And I know other OEMs have done this and I, I don't like it. I don't know if you guys like it. If you want to change where your vent is aiming, you have to go into the screen, oh, hold the thing. Yeah, that's what Tesla around. does that. Rivian does that. Right? And Rivian and, is. It's annoying. And it looks cool. And you're like, oh, cool. I change. But then if you literally just want to bat the vent out of the way because somehow or move it too quickly because suddenly the sun is streaming in or over. I apparently adjust my vents more than most people. I don't know. I adjust them as the sun coming in the car changes and I want hot air or cold air. You have to go in and you have to change it and you have to move, slide it around with your finger get it where you want it and then come out again. I don't like that. Uh, no, so I don't, I don't like it either. It, and again, it's a small thing, but I really, I'm not. No, it's, a, it's actually not a small thing. It's a very important thing because it, as you said, it is something that people use more than they fairly think. frequently. Right? Yeah. You know, I feel it, like that's, you know, it's, it's not, is it like, does the car not work? No, it works fine. But in terms of a comfort thing, if every time you want to change that, you have to go into the, it's, it's, a, it's a bad design. It's a bad it should design. not. It should not be done that way. They're, they're, for air vents, I feel like they should be just reach out, grab your vent, move it. You yeah. know, um, it's, it's it's interesting how much we how how we adjust controls in our vehicles. How how often we we adjust controls that we don't think we're actually touching. We don't think we're changing the vents. Yes. We don't think we're adjusting mirrors. We don't think we're doing you know mm-hmm. turning you know adjusting all these things and then you it gets put into a, a display and then suddenly you're having to search for this because right. someone at someone somewhere said well we can save some money and you know they only do this once maybe twice and then they go oh people don't like that yeah because nope. it turns out we're, we're we're doing it far more than we thought we were doing it and i think it's something that you know you'll get used to not having to search for it it'll get quick to you know boop 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 go here but I mean, really, like your passenger needs to adjust the air vents. You're like, touch that screen, touch here, touch there, touch there, move this. It's it's not. Well, plus, you know, again, you have to look at it to, you do. to do it. You know, to, yeah. to there's no muscle you know, swipe, memory. Swipe around to figure out, and okay, where you want like, the air to flow. Once you're, you're you're on there and you're trying to pull it, if you, you know, we've all used touch screens and you go to swipe and you have not swiped. You have not, in fact, grabbed the thing you mean to grab. You're just 
running your hand along the screen. It's like if you don't hit it just right, you've actually not moved the vent. You've just snedged your fingers and made a lovely little fingerprint on your screen. So it's yeah. not it's not intuitive. So that was something that I I genuinely was like, I don't I don't like this. Otherwise, I thought it was a good vehicle. I like that the the trunk seems very roomy. I liked how roomy that it's or the tail hatchback area. What do you call it? Cargo area. That's the boot. The boot. Um, that didn't Not seem, a boot. it seems roomy. Um, and it was a nice quiet ride. I mean, you know, it's an EV. So of course you have the quiet of an EV, but in terms of the road noise and the wind noise, it was nice and quiet. Um, I drove it over a bunch of really craptastic roads in New Hampshire. Cause it's like frost heave season with everything freezing and thawing. It was, it was really nice to drive. I genuinely liked it. Oh, and one of the things that I Loved. I've never seen these before, but you guys, some, especially you, Robbie, you drive some fancier cars. You might know this. They, I think they're technically called them dynamic headlights. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they move left and right or that there's a light that pops up on the right when you have a right-hand turn signal. It actually looks and is like if you have your high beams on and you're approaching another car, it doesn't put you in low beams. It changes the beam. So just the part of your high it carves out the light. Yeah. It carves out the little light so that that car is not getting high beams, but the empty space to the right of the car, let's say is still, and then it comes back again and you can actually sort of see it like, like move as far as it needs and then move back. And it does it with, and even will make your beams tip down sometimes. So they'll go left, right, depending on like they'll dim and, and get brighter left and right. And they will also sort of dim down. So the beams point a little down. So they're not blinding people. I even saw it a couple of times. It caught the reflection. You know, how so- road signs have a certain amount of reflectivity to them. Some of them seem to reflect more vibrantly than others. There are a couple of brand new road signs here that have that super bright reflection to them. And it even dimmed that. So the, the reflection coming back at me, honestly, was not so like, I got it. It's exit seven. Like it was, it <laughs> dimmed it down a little bit because it took those as too much of a reflection. I, I know we have adaptive headlights in the U.S. I don't know. This if goes, this, yeah, this goes oh. way beyond the adaptive headlights. Right? Yeah, this, this is, yeah, this is this, way uh, fancier. This is a, literally this is a fight like 15, 10, 15 years in the making. Right? This fight, yeah, this, this, the get the get this sort of, we, like, NHTSA kept saying no to this. Like, automakers kept, it's been in Europe forever. Yes. Yeah. NHTSA has a rule that, it, like, a single, it had to be a, a single, uh, was a single bulb right. for everything. And so they did an initial study like in 2017 or 2000 i don't know a long time ago where they're like well in the lab there was a motorcyclist who was kind of blinded by it at one point and so they're like we're not going to do it and so then they had to lobby and lobby and lobby and lobby and then finally they're like okay we'll do another we'll we'll start researching this again but because you had the european version yes. you have the european lights which we I, still right? everyone's still figuring out those, and it was those are actually becoming legal here in the u.s yeah I know adaptive headlights are legal, but I wasn't sure, honestly, Sam, where the line, how adaptive, do you know what I mean? Like, cause these, like you said, go beyond that. I wasn't sure if these were going to be okay or not. And I did not have an, when I did not have an opportunity to ask the Volkswagen folks, if that was coming to the US. Yeah. I mean, it may not be here when they launch the ID seven, but, but it is coming to vehicles here. Cause we're so close. Yeah. We're so close. We're so close to having them. It was so neat. And, and even my daughter where she's trying, I'm like, Kit, can you see that? She's like, I can, even from the passenger seat, she's like, what are those lights doing? She's like, that is the coolest thing. Cause even she could see from her seat, how they were just like, Oh, there's something there. I shall dim. Now I shall brighten. Now I shall go down. Now I shall go up. Like they're the smartest little headlights I've ever seen. I thought that was amazing. And I thought to myself, every car in the U S 
should have this. This should yeah. be we yeah, have here. It's so stinking cool. Like go Volkswagen, bring it here. So blame Nitsa. Stupid Nitsa with your safety <laughs> standards. But yeah, so I think that would be that that was a really that was a cool feature. So I like the ID7. I thought it was a really strong offering. And like I said, we don't have details because they don't have the Euro, they only had it was Eurospec car. They had European details they could firm, but they couldn't confirm us stuff but they did give me a little list of like we can say this we can say that we can say the other thing but it's still light on details so we won't have that I, worse I, launch. I would guess it's probably going to start in the upper 40s and go to about 60 65 yeah so so it's you know so we got a little time before we'll have concrete details on it but i i do like it i do think it was a nice volkswagen and coolest headlights ever what what i what i want is the id7 tour oh yeah they just, they just showed off germany Oh, you want that one? Yeah. I don't know if we get that, that one. That, the uh, wagon. We, yeah, we, we're, we're, never, we're not getting it. We can't. No, we can't have nice things. We can't. Have, yeah, we can't no one buys them. Headlights for crying we, out loud. There, there will be there'll be like you know twenty people that will buy this. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, there'd be twenty one if it was here. Is that what you're saying, Sam? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this it's it, no. We we automakers will bring us wagons, and then you know journalists we all get excited, and then no and, one buys them, and then they yeah. go away. Yeah, it's it's like oh, we can sit there and ask for them all day. Because we love them and we all want wagons, but the reality is, U.S. people don't want. Don't them. really buy them. There's, it, yeah. we seem well, like we we, we, we we buy over oh, wagons that are too tall. Yeah, they, yeah. they call them SUVs, but they're you know, they're, they're really they're wagons. wagons. Yeah, pretty much. No so, one wants to be so as cool was, as the Griswolds. That's so that was the ID Seven. That I'm I'm really I hope I get to like I'm looking forward to this coming out in the U.S. and. And would love to see how ours looks. I'd love to see how it compares, but I, I like this. I like. Yeah. It. I have the cool lights. That's what's going to be. They, uh, make, make you sad. <laughs> I know it will make me cry. <laughs> the the video, the demo video I did uh, at CES with the uh, Chat GPT integration, mm-hmm. um, that was actually in an ID7. So they had they had the ID7 at CES. Oh, okay. And that's what that's what they were using for the, those Chat GPT demos in the, in yeah. the car. So, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get to drive them in the next few months. I would hope. Fingers, yeah, fingers crossed. crossed. Well, we still we still have to drive the ID Buzz, the US. Yeah. I driven oh, the yeah. I drove the European version. We haven't driven the US version. It's supposed to come out this summer. Uh, that, mm, summer? Is yeah. it? That's well, that's what really, they said in really just July. About it's the twenty yeah. fifth of February, so we're in March. So if it's coming up this summer, hopefully we'll get our hands on that one soon. Yeah, which probably means fall. But okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. I had the Toyota Crown Platinum all-wheel drive. Uh, so, you know, the Crown, we talked about when I think we did the first drive like in the fall of 22. Yeah. Um, and finally got one for, for a longer test. Um, and the Crown's kind of an odd duck. You know, it sort of replaces the Avalon in the lineup. Um, but it's it's a sedan, but it's sits a little bit taller well the floor is a little bit taller but you don't actually have any more ground clearance so it's got the same ground clearance as the avalon but the floor is a little bit higher up um and then the roof line is not any higher so you actually have less room in the out in the crown than you do in the avalon and it is um you know it's a fastback like the id7 but it is actually a sedan it's got a trunk it doesn't have a, a tailgate or you know the lift gate uh, or hatchback like the uh, like the ID7, which, given its shape, probably would have made more sense to do it that way, but they didn't. Um, you know, so this is based. You know, this is Toyota's larger 
um, you know, car platform that they have. Uh, and we're, they're soon going to be launching the uh, uh, Crown SUV. I think, is that what they're calling it? The SUV? Or is there uh, a different probably. name for it? Anyway. But that's called the crown that's, SUV. That's, I don't that, know what yeah, name. that's that's coming in the spring we saw that at the la auto show but the um uh the uh the crown sedan uh you know is a nice looking vehicle um the, i had the platinum that has the the red and black two-tone uh configuration which mm-hmm. uh you know so the hood's black the roof's black the trunk is black but the the sides and other parts are red um and it's it's sort of a odd mix, but I kind of like it. I, I like I kind of like the, I, the red. Is it as a chi- as a child, as a like seven year old, I had a kite that I really liked. We lived uh-huh. next to a field, and so I would just stand outside with my kite. And it's, this is the exact same color scheme. So it just reminds <laughs> me of a kite that I had as a child. <laughs> so yeah, S I G N I A. That's what the Toyota. Ah, that's it. Crown Signia. Yeah, Toyota Crown Signia. I'm like, wait, yeah, I knew it. I knew it had an actual name. I couldn't just remember what it is. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Um. So. All the crowns um, are standard with a hybrid drivetrain. Uh, there's no conventional internal combustion only uh, version of the crown for this generation. Um, and for the um, the uh, what is it the X or uh, let me find it here the XLE and the limited trims. They have you know the standard 2.5 liter naturally aspirated four cylinder classic Toyota hybrid system. Uh, version. So it's, this is the exact same powertrain that you get in the Camry, in the Highlander, in the Sienna, um, and the RAV4, and a whole bunch of other vehicles. Uh, and then there's the Platinum, which is what I had, which has the Hybrid Max, uh, which instead uh, is a it's a different system. So the 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 base hybrid system, the, all the Crowns are also all wheel drive. So you get an electric motor at the rear axle driving the rear wheels, and then the engine and the hybrid drive on the front uh, wheels. The Platinum um, is the hybrid max system that debuted on the RX or uh, RX 500H, I think. Yeah, the RX 500. Um, and so this has the 2.4 liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine, and instead of the ECVT uh, drive hybrid drive unit. It has a conventional six-speed automatic with uh, an electric motor embedded in there, plus an electric motor on the rear axle. So the base hybrid system is 236 combined horsepower. The hybrid max is 340 horsepower and up to 400 foot-pounds of torque, uh, which real you feel that difference when you drive it. And you know certainly when we drove the, uh, the Grand Highlander last year, uh, with that same powertrain, same thing. You really feel that difference between the two, and it's in many ways more pleasant to drive uh, because you never because it's a conventional step ratio automatic. It doesn't have any of that motor boating sound where you know when you go to accelerate it revs up to four thousand RPM and sits there while you while the car speeds up. Uh, it's it's got a more traditional sound and feel to it. Um, the uh, the performance was good. Um, handling's fine. You know, it's not a sports car. It's not a sports sedan, but you know, it's, it's, it's good, you know, decent, uh, performance, good body control, uh, good ride quality. Um, the fuel economy was a little disappointing. Um, yeah, this one it's EPA rated at 30 miles per gallon combined, 29 city, 32 highway, the standard hybrid systems, a little over 40, I think. Uh, but it's 30 combined 
for the hybrid max system, I only got 24. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's significant. And, you know, it's not like I was, you know, beating this thing up or anything. I wasn't, right. you know, I was driving it fairly, you know, the way I drive everything. And I usually get pretty close to the, um, to the EPA, EPA numbers. So, um, yeah, this one only got 24, uh, which is definitely on the, on the low side of what I was expecting. That's only eight better than the McLaren I was driving. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you can put five people in this. Can you put five people in a McLaren? I mean, if you're creative. You, if you're, yeah. I mean, and who has, who has four friends? <laughs> four friends? What's that? Point. Really again, popular, if, if, you, if you have a McLaren, do you really need friends? Just, no, no. You know, you get the McLaren and then you, as soon as an automaker puts a wagon out, you just buy that for you and your dogs. And you're, there you that's go. it. Uh, McLaren and a wagon. You're good to go. All right. <laughs> Um, so, you know, the, the crown is a pleasant enough vehicle. It had, you know, this one was pretty much fully loaded with all, you know, as a platinum. So, you know, it's got the Toyota safety sense 3.0. So you got all the adaptive cruise control and lane departure warning. And actually that stuff's all standard on, on all crowns anyway. Um, and, uh, it's got the, um, drive assist, uh, system. Um, so, uh, it's, it, it it'll uh at low speeds you can actually go hands off like if you're in stop and go traffic you can go hands off at up to about 30 miles an hour um when you're in traffic just a traffic jam assist is what they call it um and it does have a driver uh, infrared driver monitor um which in addition to making sure that you're watching the road when you're using traffic jam assist just anytime you're driving it'll also alert you if you're looking away from the road for too long so if you're distracted by something you know it'll it'll give you an alert saying hey eyes back on the road dude um and uh so uh you know it's it's a it's a pleasant enough vehicle to drive um he said the the configuration seems a, a little odd um just because of that kind of high floor um, but, uh, other than that, you know, for a larger sedan, um, you know, given that there are fewer and fewer of these available in the marketplace, it's not a bad option. And, um, the, uh, you know, the regular hybrid version will, will get you, like I say, uh, 41 miles per gallon combined. And, you know, from what, we, you know, generally those, you know, do pretty, it's pretty easy to hit those numbers, those EPA numbers, um, in real world driving. Uh, so the all in price of the crown that I had, the crown platinum, uh, with, uh, let's see, there was only a handful of options, uh, 50 state emissions, uh, premium paint, or actually 50 state emissions as, um, standard, the premium paint charge, uh, that's for the two-tone paint, um, Let's see, it was four hundred. Well, it was four hundred twenty-five bucks for premium paint, and then another five fifty for the two-tone paint, uh, and then the uh, uh, the, the po side puddle lamps, one hundred sixty-five mud guards, and rear bumper applique. So all all in came to fifty-five thousand eight hundred and thirty-eight dollars, hmm. um, which is seems a little pricey, um, but you know, then again, everything's getting expensive these everything's days. Everything's pricey. <clears throat> Would you but, pay much for it, Sam? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't think that. You know, and it's an... not. It's not so much as the price. It's just that, you know, it's just not the car I want to be driving. That's fair. Yeah, it's, it's pleasant enough. 
you know, and if, you know, if you want, you know, a larger sedan like this, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, but it, I, I mean, I personally don't think I'd want one of these, but if, if you like the look and you want to 55, so you can get the ID, the I four with all wheel drive for 61 or rear wheel drive I four for 52. I would probably take the, the rear drive I four. I take the I four, F four, uh, what the E drive 40. Oh, that's 57. Oh, that's fifty seven. Uh, well, still, I mean, you know, for yeah, two two thousand bucks know, more, you, you yeah. get the, you're you're driving a BMW. Yeah, I I would take that one, and that's got you know hatchback, so you've got oh, a yeah. little more flexibility in terms of putting big stuff in. And I four is fantastic. Yeah, it is, um, and you know, it's electric and you know, considerably more efficient than at least what I saw in terms of real world driving with this one. So that is the Toyota Crown Platinum. Um, all right, let's see. Let's uh, let's go back to you, Nicole. Yeah. Um, you also had a chance to drive the 2025 Ram 1500. I did. I got a chance to drive the Ram 1500. So it's not an all new, but it's it's got some pretty big changes. One of them is the the V8. Bye bye. There's no Hemi, so you have to get over that. Gonzo, um, you have a choice of a V6, which is 305 horsepower, or there's a twin turbo inline six with two different power outputs. There's either 420 or 540 horsepower. So you still have good oomph from that. I mean, we drove that. It was fine. Um, it was very robust. It didn't feel lacking. I mean, if you're someone who loves the, the Hemi, you're probably still going to just be sad if you have a love affair with the Hemi, but it's not like it makes this a horrible truck to drive or anything, still really robust. Um, range of pricing, which is crazy on trucks, base is around 42K. Mm. Or with the highest trim that's a new trim they've introduced, $89,000 base price for the highest trim without adding extra. That's, the, that's the tungsten. Right. That's right. the tungsten. So the tungsten is a new trim. It sits above the Limited. So the Limited was already a really nice. It, it was a beautiful truck. It was a very fancy truck. But now, like, don't forget that we went one better. We went with tungsten and it gets like metal badging. It's this tungsten on the door sill. And there's like a little plate on the back of the headrest. And there's stuff on the center console that even I think it even has a VIN number. It says like tungsten and the VIN is under it. So it gets all the bells and whistles to make it look very fancy on the interior. It also gets, I'm going to say the name of this company wrong because I always say it wrong. A 23 speaker Klipsch audio system. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Because I yep. feel Klipsch. Uh, which is fantastic. It's it's amazing. And what's really funky is when you look on the backs of the front seats, there's a silver speaker grill. I want to say, I don't know, maybe three by three square on each of the backs of the front seats. So it looks kind of funky. It's right there. It, it's pretty, but you're also like, what is this? It makes me think of ventilate. <laughs> like it should somehow be like an air vent or something, but no, it's a speaker. Um, so they have that. Um, it has a 14.5 inch touchscreen. That's the other thing that's new. The old 8.4 inch screen is no more. It's now there 12 or a 14.5 inch screen. So you have a nice large screen on it, which just kind of upgrades the interior in general, aside from the tungsten being fancy, just smaller screens, especially on trucks, truck screens are getting huge. So when you see a small one, it suddenly feels very, very, very small on a big giant truck dashboard. So it's nice that they upgraded those and they gave the passenger, and it's only in specific trims, there's a passenger screen. It's a 10.3-inch touchscreen that has limited functionality. 
Like I know you can control, uh, I think you can navigation stuff. You can do streaming stuff. You can do like audio stuff. So it gives you a certain amount of control over some of the things, the things that the driver would be okay with relinquishing. Like it's not going to take over drivery stuff and you can't see it. Like the, like the, uh, the Wagoneer has this, you can't see it from the driver's side. Like literally if you're sitting in the driver's seat and you want to see this, you have to lean so far over that like your head is level with the shoulder of the person in the passenger seat to be able to see that screen. So in terms of distracted driving, they've done a very good job. You are not going to see that passenger screen. Um, You know, I've had a couple of cars. This was just in a first drive. I've had vehicles that have had this at home and for about five minutes, the front passenger thinks it's nifty to just have a screen directly. In I don't front think of- my wife even lasted five minutes. Not even five the, minutes. No, I can't it's get like, five. It's kind of like, oh, I got my own screen. Oh, oh that was uh, cool. And but then yeah, back I, to their phone. And then just back to the phone. Exactly. That's the thing. Is right. Everyone just goes back to their phone. For five minutes, you have what you want on your screen, but you, you it's, yeah. So it's, I, I don't know how I feel. I, I kind of feel like passenger screens are a little bit gimmicky. I think it's to add extra screen to the car, but you know, so many of the vehicles like take Ram out of the picture. They're not even, even if it's not a passenger screen, they're doing that, you know, multiple screens. What is the, the Lincoln does it? Why am I forgetting which Lincoln? It's like the The Nautilus, the Nautilus and it's like screen everywhere. So there's this need for screen everywhere. And I feel like that's what the passenger screen is supposed to do. Is it, cool? Like you said, five minutes or for less than that, if you're Julie, um, it, 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 but it's it's kind of gimmicky. But the time- I've had multiple what? people in multiple cars with passenger screens, not just my wife who's like, no. Um, yeah. Like other people, they're just like, okay. So like, I, I don't I don't know what the I, I don't know who they're talking to who's saying yeah. yes we should totally put these in the car. And like even my um, daughters, so they're they're in their twenties, right? So they're younger, and they're both like, oh, this is cool. What's it do? Okay, like so, it's not. Oh, we're old farts. No, my twenty-year-old kids were like, uh, mm. cool, I guess, you know. <laughs> no, even they uh. are impressed with the whole idea of it. But yay, you can get one in in select trims in the uh, the new Ram. Um, they still have the, excuse me, they still have the Rebel for doing off-roady stuff, and they've made that a little bit more robust. Uh, we did have an off-road course that we took it on. That was a pretty solid off-road course. It 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 did take you into some. You know, it was on this, we were on this um, ranch, I guess, in Texas, and it took us down this thing that looked like at some point there was a river there. You know, there's all those gnarly rocks and stuff that you go around and tight turns. And I do think it was surprisingly nimble for, I mean, trucks are not small, especially not the Rebel, and trying to get in and out of that stuff, it it handled pretty well. And it was, I mean, it's a decent, decent little off-road truck if you want to do that. Um, There's also new... And they don't have a name for it. You know how Blue Cruise and Super Cruise, that's Fords and Jeep yeah, names. Right. They don't have hands, a name. hands-free driving assist. It's hands-on driving assist or hands-free driving assist. There's no name. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's like, is there a name? They're like, no, just hands-on and hands-free. Oh, okay. Uh, so you got this fancy screen, but you can't name your system. I don't know. So uh, I got to, there was not enough. The hands-free was only on the tungsten, the rest of them had the hands uh, that had them had the hands on. So I experienced the hands on, uh, through whatever vagaries of who got what car. I didn't get a chance to drive the tungsten for very long at all. Like I kind of drove it in the parking lot there. So I wasn't able to try the hands free. The journalist that I was with that tried it said they thought it was pretty solid, that it, it did really well. 
But the hands-on, we could try, and you could try that in sort of like stop and go traffic. There was a lot of, and it it did really well. You just barely need to have your hand on there just so it knows you're paying attention, kind of thing. Um, it did a great job of like slowing and starting, and so it's a nice system. I would have loved to have gotten a little time to really play with the hands-free driving, but no such luck. Um, so I mean, nice updates, and there the plug-in hybrid, which is going to be the Ram Charger and the EV. The I just have Ram fifteen hundred EV. It's Ram Rev. Is it the Rev? Ram Ram Rev is the. I, have, like, the, I think the I wrote electric. Ram EV, and I'm like, no, it's Ram Rev. Those were there for us, I believe, to see, but not to experience just yet. So we didn't drive those, and they won't be coming out till later this year, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the the Rev comes out in Q4, and then the Ram Charger uh, early in the new year, right? So it's going to be basically a year before we see those. Uh, but they are coming. So for right now, there is no EV or, you know, plug-in hybrid version of Ram vehicles, but you still have, you know, this is, it's still got plenty of capability. It's not the most capable of trucks. Like if you want to max out that tow rating and max out that payload, uh, this has an 11,580 pound tow rating and 2,300 for payload, still plenty of stuff you can bring along, but if you want to max out, this is not your Huckleberry. Pick a different truck. Uh, but I do still like the, you know, I I've I felt with the last generation of the Ram 1500, I feel like they did an amazing job upgrading their interior. Beautiful interior, really nice, smooth ride. Um, this was already the best in class interior right? anyway. It was. And so now they, so the, you know, the generation brought it up. This just refines it a little bit more they did a couple of tweaks to the exterior styling but nothing dramatic because again this isn't an all new this is sort of like a mid-cycle refresh i guess almost you call it um so it's a pretty heavy mid-cycle refresh visually it doesn't change that much right the the obviously the the powertrain is different powertrain is the big thing you know and it's as they're moving towards that ev powertrain so okay we're gonna get rid of the hemi we're gonna give you these this inline you know turbo inline six we're moving you towards the new powertrain. So it's like the f- first step in getting us to electrified Ram 1500. So I, overall, I liked it. I thought the tungsten was great. If you want, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, in Ford, um, the King Ranch that is all, it's the the logo everywhere. And it's like King Ranch in your face. This is kind of the same way with the tungsten. It's like, this is a tungsten. It, and it does look cool. If you want to have the fanciest, and I think it's, you know, and it's $89,000, but when you get into any truck, when you're at the towards the same way, when you get to that top trim, that is really not so much about, I want to be the most capable truck on the planet, but I want you to feel like you're driving a luxury truck. It it's does. a luxury car. That's it's a truck. luxury car in truck form. And the tungsten definitely feels honestly, the limited felt that way too, but this just takes it a step further. It's a little bit more aggressive and the tungsten badge is kind of cool it looks neat. So it is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And the same amazing ride quality that the Ram 1500 has had for a while. So I feel like it's a good step forward in the right direction for Ram. Do you, do you think that the absence of V8 engines, you know, I mean, is the hurricane going to be enough for Ram I, owners? Ram, I, Ram I buyers? think if, I, yes, with a caveat, if yes, if they give it a chance and drive it, if they just, if they're a V8 and they're a Hemi guy and they're like, I must have my V8, this is garbage. They're never going to know if they get behind it and can like let go of that for a second and just drive it and say, wait, does this do what I want it to do? Does this drive the way I want it to drive? Is it still responsive? Is it still aggressive? Does it still feel like I've got some power? 
if you can just let like let go of your preconceived notions, just drive it for a second. Yeah, I think it's going to be fine. But I do think people who are just like V8 or die won't even give it a chance. And I think that's a shame because I think the Hurricane is a great engine. Uh, yeah. And and frankly, I, I don't think that's going to be that big of an issue because, um, you know, if you look at F-150, you know, less than 10% of sales are the Coyote V8. You know, mm-hmm. 90, 90% of sales, you know, for the last two generations have been, um, you know, V6s, you know, mostly, mostly turbo V6s, right. the 2.7 and the, and the 3.5 liter uh, EcoBoost engines. So, you know, I, I don't, I think, you know, people, people are going to try this and say, yeah, okay, it's fine. You know, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have that V8 rumble, but you know, for, you know, for what most people are going to use the truck for and these, these turbo, the hurricanes, the two versions, the 410 and the 520 horsepower versions are, they're actually more powerful than the five seven and the six point four liter V eights anyway. Exactly. Yeah, more power, more, more torque. Power. The thing is, they're they're right? more powerful vehicles, and people are yeah. like, oh. if, you can, if you can just you know, you get the I sit the inline an inline yeah. six the best motor on the planet. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Everyone can just calm down and realize like you don't have Settle to have down. a V eight in order to have a powerful, aggressive, responsive vehicle. You really don't have to have that. It's twenty twenty four. There are better options it, out there. It, and this is this is a great option. Yeah, the the only thing that you know that we're losing this year is the TRX, yeah, you know, with the Hellcat V8. Um, yeah, that, which but, is how many did they do? You, I did not look that up. Do they have? Do they sell? They've, they've never said how many they've sold. I think it's you know probably on the order of you know probably two to three thousand a year. So it was um, the mass. Yeah, uh, I mean, mass, I mean, that was a very oh. expensive truck anyway. I mean, it was that well, was that was also yeah. more. I mean, it was about the power, but it was also about the bazonkers capability of that. You know yeah. what I mean? So, well, and and they are um, this summer, sometime this summer, I think they're launching the RHO. Yes. You know, which technically, which they haven't said, you know, what it stands for, but obviously it's Ram High Output. Right. Uh, you know, which is going to have you know the high output hurricane. It's basically a TRX with the hurricane uh, six cylinder in there. So that will be the, you know, for the people who wanted that. Yeah. If you, if you want that kind of truck or that kind of vehicle, you just have to sort of, to a certain point, you got to resign yourself that things change and they change. And sometimes they change and they're better. Sometimes they just change and they're different, but the change is going to happen. Things are going to move forward. Things are going to change. And I feel like, you know, these are good changes. I think in the end, people are going to be fine with them. And I think the things you're never going to get that, the eight guttural from these, but it still in other ways delivers. And and if you absolutely positively still have to have a V8 powered Ram 1500, mm-hmm. they do still sell the Ram Classic, the Ram 1500 Classic, which is like the generation before. Right. They still sell those. Right. And yeah. you, know, you can you can get that with uh, with a V8 engine with the with the five seven Hemi for now at least. For now. Now that Sam said that tomorrow, we've discontinued. <laughs> Look what you did, Sam. Look what you did. Look what you did. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I think they'll probably for at least another year or two, they'll keep selling that. Um, and at some point, they'll probably phase out the Ram Classic just because, you know, it is old. Right. Uh, but, you know, for for now, it is still available. Like, as long as they're selling enough of them for it to make sense, why would they not? Yeah. You know, if the numbers work, they'll keep doing it. Yep. All right. Um, let's see. I uh, went out to uh, California actually a couple of weeks ago now uh, to drive the Honda Prologue, which is the first 
purpose-built battery electric Honda for the North American market. You know, previously they've sold the um, the Clarity as an EV, which you know was not really very good because it only had about eighty-five miles of range. Um, and they had it was very comfortable inside, though. It, it was, yeah. That was that was uh, their thing. It's it, really comfortable inside. That was sort of the just, selling point. They're it like, just All did, right. just couldn't go very far. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they also had the Fit EV like a decade ago, which you know they didn't. They those were only available through lease. You couldn't even actually buy those. And you know that was that one was truly a compliance car. Um, and then you know in Europe they've had the Honda E for a couple of years. Um, and they've had some other some other small EVs in in other markets, but this is the first one we get, and this is um, basically a Hondafied version of the Chevy Blazer EV. Hondafied. <laughs> Hondafied. Yeah, I mean, it, how did it, it go? Given that the Chevy Blazer EV had some missteps, it has some software issues, mm-hmm. and. Um, Remains to be seen, you know, when those will go back on sale as they're trying to trying desperately to fix that software. Um, that you know, so the the software is still a problem in, in there. We didn't see any issues with the software in the in the prologues we drove. That's good. Um, you know, so the prologue has the same 120 and 121.8 inch wheelbase, so it's a very long wheelbase as the Blazer. Um, and you know it's virtually it's like within an inch in all dimensions relative to the Blazer, also the Cadillac Lyric, and the upcoming Acura ZDX. Um, the main differences, obviously, the styling is very different. the The Blazer is very in your face. The Prologue looks very much like a Honda, and I think it it looks good. I, I like the design of the Prologue. You know, it's a little more uh, reserved. You know, than a blazer. It's definitely not, <laughs> not, not quite so bold uh, to look at. Um, so I, I like the design. Um, you know, it's a two-row crossover, five-seater, um, and uh, same same height uh, and everything. What uh, in the case of the Prologue, it's only available with uh, an eighty-five kilowatt-hour battery pack. So this is, you know, the the GM Altium battery packs. You know, they can put in different numbers of modules in there, depending on the capacity you need for a given application. So for the initial versions of the Blazer, they're doing it using a 12 module pack, which is also what will be in the ZDX. And it's also what's in the uh, Lyric. Um, and those are like 102 kilowatt hours. Um, and they've taken out two modules um, to, for a 10 module pack. And there will, when, when they get around to launching the, uh, the LT version of the Blazer, uh, it will also be available with the same 10 module pack. Uh, so it'll be a little more, uh, a little more affordable than the ones that they, they launched with. Um, the, uh, uh, the interior is another place where the two are quite different, where the Blazer and the Prologue are very different. The Blazer, at least the ones that we drove, you know, which were the, the RS trim levels, which is the, the mid-level trim. So they have, LT, RS, and SS for Blazer. Uh, the SS is the high-performance one that's coming sometime later this year. Um, and then the LT is the base model. Um, we don't know what the trim looks like in, in the LT. We haven't, nobody's actually seen one yet. Um, but the, the Blazer RS definitely feels more premium than the Prologue. The Prologue 
while the design was good, I liked the layout, you know, where all the controls were and like the blazer, you know, they keep physical controls for climate control and, um, volume and, and tuning knobs, things like that. So they keep all, all the right stuff as physical controls that, that you need. Um, but the, the ones that we drove, all the ones they had at the drive program were the, the top level elite trim. So they have the EX, the, uh, touring and the elite, uh, as the, the three trim levels. Um, and all the ones we drove were elites. So these were loaded, uh, models and even, you know, at, at, with this loaded elite dual motor, all wheel drive, the materials inside this thing really felt kind of cheap. It was hard plastics on the console and then the doors and everything. Um, and given that this thing, uh, you know, has a price of $59,295 felt kind of cheap. You know, if it was $40,000 or, you know, or less, I wouldn't have an issue with those materials, mm -hmm. but at $60,000, eh, it's starting to push it, you know, <laughs> and you could see where they, they tried to take some cost out of this thing. Um, you know, but that said, you know, it, it's not, they, they did manage to, you know, maintain the, the noise qualities of it. It's still quiet drives, you know, drives really nice. Um, you know, we were driving it in Northern California we drove North from Healdsburg, uh, up into the the mountains and uh, quite pleasant to drive. Although, even though the uh, the prologue is lighter than the Blazer, uh, in, in part probably because of the fact that um, you know it does eliminate some of those higher end materials, some of the features. Uh, it does have the smaller battery. You know that's going to save you about probably 150 to 200 pounds uh, on the battery. So the um, the uh, uh, the Prologue Elite uh, has a curb weight of 5,273 pounds, which is about uh, about 600 pounds less than the Blazer RS that we drove in December. Uh, and despite that weight reduction in weight, it actually doesn't really feel that much. I mean, 5,200 5, pounds, almost 5,300 pounds is still pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. And so these were the, the same all-wheel drive setup that's in the Blazer RS. So it's the, the E all-wheel drive. So you get um, the 212 horsepower front motor. Um, and that, and so it's primarily front-wheel drive and then a smaller AC induction motor on the rear axle. So it's set up you know, kind of like a typical all-wheel drive crossover that is primarily front drive. And then it sends some torque to the rear axle uh, when you need some extra traction. Um, you know, so it's 288 horsepower, which, you know, in a vehicle, this size normally would not be that would, would probably be fine. You know, I mean, cause this is not that far off, you know, it's kind of in between the size of a, of a pilot and a passport. Um, and you know, the, the pilot, you know, has similar output from its V6 engine, but the pilot probably weighs about a thousand pounds less than this does. And you feel that in the way this thing accelerates, it does not, it does not accelerate the way we've become accustomed to with EVs. Um, and frankly, it feels kind of sluggish. Um, and I'll be curious to try out the front wheel drive version, which only has 212 horsepower. Uh, you know, it, it's also, you know, it's a couple hundred pounds lighter still because you get rid of the rear motor. Uh, but 
you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel like it had much get up and go. Um, and maybe part of that is being spoiled by all the other EVs we've driven that are so much quicker off the line, but, you know, trying to accelerate, you know, up a hill, uh, to make a, a passing maneuver, it, it just felt, you know, kind of, yeah, I'll get there eventually, you know, oh, geez. That's <laughs> um, <so> great. <laughs> which, you know, like I say, it's not, I mean, it's still, it's a, like it'll do zero to 60 in about eight seconds, which is, you know, by today's standards is actually kind of slow, but, but it's still, it's, it's quick enough. I mean, it'll be fine. You know, it's more than fast enough for, you know, merging onto highways and things like that. But as, as people have gotten used to other EVs, it, it might seem a little down compared to other EVs. Um, there's no front trunk, just as there isn't on the uh, the Blazer or the Lyric. Uh, the It is roomy inside, you know, the, the second row seats. Uh, you got plenty of head and leg room, uh, even, you know, with the, the front seats moved back. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of space for five people in there. Uh, there's... Uh, about 25 cubic feet of cargo space in the front wheel drive model, the rear drive or the all wheel drive, because the floor is a little bit higher to accommodate the, the uh, motor in the back there. It's about a little less than 24 cubic feet, uh, which is still plenty. You'll have no problem, you know, putting in bags, you know, for, uh, for four or five people in there, or, you know, if you've got a couple of kids, you know, like the kids gear and everything. Um, they had one there with a, a Moto Compacto sitting in the back, you know, and it didn't take up much space at all. Um, so the, you know, the, the prologue is fine. You know, it's, it's generally well executed. It's just, it doesn't feel like a nearly $60,000 vehicle. Um, and yeah, you know, so, you know, the, the performance is just, you know, okay. Um, and it looks good, uh, but the, you know, the interior doesn't feel like it should be costing almost 60 grand. Um, and it, uh, it doesn't move like a 60 grand, 60 grand vehicle. I mean, for, for this price point, um, you know, this is not, you know, this is about the same price as the starting price for a Cadillac Lyric mm -hmm. and the Lyric feels quicker. Um, oh. so, you know, although this does have. You know, and a regular glove box that you know with a latch on there, you could just reach over and pop it open. You don't have to go through the touch screen to open the glove box. So that's hey. a that's a plus. <laughs> that's what you're paying for. Exactly. Yeah. So you're giving up all the all the other stuff for that. Um, you know, so if you know, if you if you like Hondas, and I certainly do, you know, if you feel like paying the premium for this over a pilot or a passport, um, you know, then you'll probably be perfectly happy with it. Um, you know, it, it feels like a Honda in most respects. Um, it's just priced closer to a Cadillac than a, or, you know, priced more like an act, like what you would expect an Acura of this size and class to be rather than a Honda. Um, so yeah. And the, and the ZDX is going to be considerably more expensive still than this. Uh, but it'll also be a lot more powerful because it'll have uh, rear wheel drive or the higher performance all wheel drive system. So it'll have 500 horsepower in the the uh, ZDX Type S. Um, so nearly double what this thing has. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the Honda Prologue, and Honda said that they are um, expecting to sell about 40,000 of these in the first full year. 
and then about 70,000 a year after that. Um, given that so far in uh, almost three years that GM has been building Ultium-based EVs, they have built and sold fewer than 20,000 in total of the Hummer and the Lyric and the Blazer uh, and the Silverado. Um, I'll I'll be curious to see when GM can actually deliver that many of them, but <laughs> maybe they'll uh, just get some cruises out. And yeah, <laughs> put yeah, some I mean, Honda, yeah, I mean, Civic on top of it. Yeah, I mean, th- you know, this uh, didn't have any of the software issues that have been associated with the Blazers, uh, even though it's running the same software platform underneath. Um, so we didn't have any issues there, and 150 kilowatt DC charging uh, capacity, uh, and since there's only one DC charging station in the vicinity of Healdsburg, uh, an Electrify America station. And they told us, yeah, don't bother going over there to try do any charging tests because we went and checked it yesterday. It was only one of the four chargers was actually working. Uh, so um, they, uh, and then the next closest one was an EV go station in Santa Rosa, which is almost 20 miles South in the opposite direction we were driving. So we didn't, we didn't test that, but they, they had Honda had, uh, um, a uh, trailer um, with a generator and some portable DC fast chargers that they were using to charge these up between drive waves. Um, but yeah, it's that, and that's you know in California, you know, you're not you know we're not talking about being that it's like an hour hour and a half north of San Francisco. Uh, you know, it's not a particularly remote area, and lack of charging infrastructure there. Was pretty severe, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you know you want, probably want to think about that when you um, when you're considering whether to buy one of these. So these are supposed to be available by the end of March. Uh, we'll see, um, you know, if GM can actually deliver them or not. But, I love how everything we're like this should be available by fill in date OEM says. Yeah. It probably means <laughs> fill in date two months later, yeah, <laughs> or a year. Right. Or later. Uh, None of us yeah. trust any of it anymore. <laughs> exactly, well, especially where GM's involved on yeah. this stuff. Um, I I did uh, have a chance to sit down with John Wong again. He's the chief engineer on on the Prologue and the ZDX, and we talked about how they went through the development uh, of this vehicle. And uh, I'm going to drop that in conversation in here now. And we'll be right back. John, always good to talk to you. Now that we've had a chance to to drive the prologue, I'll talk a little bit more in depth than the, the last time we talked about it. Um, so first off, when did the development start on this this with uh, your co-development partner? It started, uh, it started um, in the spring of 2020, actually. Oh, okay. So yeah, the, four years. Yeah. The collaboration was announced, I believe, in March of 2020 and then we started working on it um pretty quickly right after that okay and how how did that process work between uh honda and and general motors like what you know how much how much influence did honda actually have on on this platform yeah um good question so the um you know as the agreements were coming along there's um kind of a arrangement or collaboration of who would lead what area, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously GM with the with that RTM platform would control or manage that integration. So that would be the chassis, platform, powertrain, batteries and things like that, electrical architecture. And then Honda's responsibility was the top hat. So um the upper body or then the interior, what the customer would see. So you know in in creating 
the the first uh, purpose-built electric Honda, at least for North American market. You had some overseas, but first one built from the ground up as an EV. Um, what what were some of your main goals in creating this vehicle? Yeah, we what we wanted to do was kind of come in around this timing where you know the the U.S. EV sales are hitting 10%, so it was a good time for us to come in, and we wanted to really introduce a long-range, mainstream kind of a, a mid-size CUV mm-hmm. form factor that you know young families and active families are looking for. So really, the Altium platform enabled that. Uh, so so it was a really good collaboration. It's a win-win for both companies. And you know, in in creating it, something that was specifically Honda. What were what were the the kinds of attributes that you were looking for, or that your team was looking for in making this a distinctly Honda vehicle as opposed to one of the other vehicles off the same architecture? Yeah, right. So what kind of we did at one of the first things we did was um, we sent up Honda cars to the GM proving ground, and together the two sets of test engineers drove the cars together so that we had a common vocabulary or common understanding of how a Honda feels and what we wanted to impart in the complete vehicle. So then with that kind of common goal, then we set the best parts that we could adjust and tune to give that Honda feeling. Yeah. So within that scope of that collaboration with the GM engineers, Mm -hmm. did that, did that have, did did that uh, influence them to maybe make some adjustments in the things that, that they were responsible for, like the, the, the core platform uh, that helped you to achieve maybe a, a little bit more distinctly Honda feel to any of the, the car? Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the things that we focused on or prioritized as, a, as something that would give that Honda feeling was uh, steering, so power steering effort, mm-hmm. um, damper and spring settings you know, the valving and the spring rate. So those were things that really gave us a big bang for the buck. So those are kind of things that we focused on. And um, so we would have Honda dynamic engineers, like Shin you met earlier. Mm-hmm. He, he would go to the GM proving ground for weeks at a time and just go iterate, try all different combinations and just drive back and back to back and, and work with the GM engineers and work with the suppliers to really develop that Honda feeling. Yeah. And, you know, in... in... The way that this vehicle was being developed, um, you know, were there were there things about developing this new platform and this, this vehicle that were different or changed from the traditional way that you've done Honda vehicles in the past? In terms of some of the processes, some of the tools, maybe more simulation. I think, you know, the, the car development is pretty I think pretty similar to all the different OEMs. Um, it's just that the process or the software used or the language used is a little bit different. Um, but it was truly, I mean, it was an interesting collaboration based on how the scope of work is, right? So the top hat mm-hmm. outside engineering was Honda. Mm-hmm. The design, the styling was Honda Studio. But the full vehicle aerodynamics was General Motors. Okay. So we would have to like, We've we had weekly meetings and we would change exchange data and and discuss, you know, if the studio can change this fillet, this surface here a little bit like this, we can get three counts, you know, two counts, right? And so it was really totally a collaboration, you know. So did GM do like all the wind tunnel testing on this? Yeah, and then Honda engineers and Honda studio members would come to their wind tunnel mm-hmm. and we developed yeah, the it one together. In the yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so it was really truly a collaboration. I mean, it wasn't really about us versus them or whatever. It was just everybody 
who was going to help develop this car. Mm-hmm. That was really a, a truly a wonderful collaboration. Actually, it's not, it sounds like it would it, it's kind of similar to the way it would be if it was just Honda people. It's just you had GM people. Yeah. So it doesn't. Yeah. yeah so your company badge name didn't really you're on on your mm-hmm. ID really didn't matter. You're yeah. the aerodynamics engineer. Yeah. I'm the body engineer, and he's this designer. Right. You you still have the same job. It doesn't matter so, who you. Maybe similar to the way that. Honda engineers and designers here in the U.S. would be working with engineers in Japan or in Europe yeah. on on a program. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, a and, um, and program. the majority of our engineers from Honda were working out of Japan, so we kind of had to have meetings timed that would align. You know, early morning, late morning, evening, or later in the evening, that would work for everybody. And usually, you know, it, it, when it involved the studio, which was in Los Angeles, it was then later in the night was better mm-hmm. in the evening. So, what? You know, in in going through this process over the past four years, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome um, to and to get the vehicle to where it is today? Uh, and I guess, are you satisfied with where you got to over the last four years? Oh yeah, I think the team is really proud, and I I think both sides are really proud of what we've been able to deliver. Um, it's met all of its requirements and timeline and, and quality gates. So we're really, I think we've done a great job. So we're really proud of it. Um, and I would say any of the challenges or difficulties are pretty standard, you know, are, are your timelines being met? Are your metrics being met? You know, and then how you recover that or how you make sure you can get that, right? So those are pretty standard kind of things. Nothing particular about, you know, uh, nothing particular about it being an EV or an ICE car. I mean, aerodynamics I brought up earlier. So you know, that took a lot of work and how important aero is on an EV. You know, mass also is super important. So those are, I mean, but they're just as important on an ICE car, mm-hmm. right? But um, so... But especially so on an EV because one of the things you want to do is reduce drag throughout the vehicle yeah. so that you have the maximum opportunity to re- recuperate energy yeah. back to the battery yeah. during when you're Yeah, so really we spent a lot of effort on aero and mass optimization. So it was uh, a lot of work mm-hmm. on, on, on both teams. What's the what's the coefficient of drag on the Prolock? Uh, yeah. we, we, Honda doesn't disclose okay. that number because basically every OEM measures it differently. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna vary. You can put the same vehicle in five different wind yeah. tunnels and get yeah. five different numbers. Exactly, so it's uh, it's not something uh, worth declaring because yeah. yeah, every OEM is different. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase the question yeah. then. You know, compared to say something like the Pilot, um, you know, how, or, or, you know, or the passport, you know, which is more similar sized, mid-sized two row crossover. How, how much better, you know, relatively is it? Ah, uh, you know, that's a good question. Cause we've, as, as I said, the, the full vehicle aero, um, responsibility was with GM. So we use their measuring method. So I can't even convert it to All right. the wind tunnel numbers. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. even exist. Yeah, I mean, we could take the car and put it in our wind tunnel, but, you know. So we don't have a direct comparison. No, we don't. Yeah. yeah. Every OEM is different. The machine is different. The equipment is different. Yeah. So it's really difficult to get a apples to apples Very kind of number. Yeah. So one of the things about the Prologue, this is the first production Honda vehicle to offer a 21-inch wheel and tire combination. Mm-hmm. Um you know, from a, a ride and handling perspective, obviously that that adds some mass and has an impact on ride and handling. Was was that uh, a challenge for you in terms of getting that Honda feel with that combination? Yeah. It, it, so it took a lot of effort because now you have 
19 inch wheel and tire combination front wheel drive all wheel drive then you have 21 inch all wheel drive so there were so many variations uh to develop but i think it's very successful as you as you've tried today so it does have its particular tuning challenges but you can you know shin nakamura-san did such a great job mm-hmm. yeah with his team working with general motors and the suppliers to adjust it yeah now and and that ev platform the ultium platform has so much bandwidth you know yeah so many wheel tire packages and so it was really um kind of like a menu you know mm-hmm. we you know we want this and they're like yes yeah you can, fantastic. you can get exactly the kind of feel you want yeah and and you know having having driven the blazer now um with uh you know the the same all-wheel drive mm-hmm. configuration as this um you know this one does feel a little more um comfortable uh in terms of ride quality mm-hmm. but without without um you know feeling soft or anything like that i mean it, it still feels totally controlled yeah i mean the the altian platform has so much bandwidth yeah and so much modularity with all the different features or hardware sets that are available that you really and and such a software defined uh structure that you can really individualize and you can express each brand's you know um promise yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. the attributes that yeah. go with the brand right yeah. so um you know one of the um differences between this and the Acura ZDX <laughs> that I think you were also responsible for um is the choice of the the battery capacity um and you know this has a, a 10 module battery pack mm-hmm. 85 kilowatt hours and the zdx has the 12 module pack so it's the same physical form factor of the pack just populated with two fewer modules what was the decision there in going with the slightly smaller battery capacity for the prologue versus the zdx is kind of as a more of a mainstream product the prologue had to kind of balance the range the mass and the price. So, so the 10 module battery offers that best compromise or the best balance. So you can get the 296 mile range, but also be reasonably priced. Right. So on the ZDX as a more premium product, a little bit higher expectation from the customers, right? So you kind of, we can put a bigger motor in the back, more power, and then still deliver that range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of the trade-offs or the considerations you have. Um, with, um, with this vehicle platform and going forward, you know, for your other um, Honda-designed EV platforms, I think you know there's a there's they're kind of at the forefront of this shift towards what call the software-defined vehicle, where everything in the vehicle is so much more based around the software. Um, was that a challenge for you and your team in? you know, getting everything to work. And obviously, you know, we've heard about some of the challenges that GM's having, but, you know, and most, frankly, most manufacturers are having challenges getting software to work properly on their new vehicles. And how, you know, was was this kind of the first time for a Honda effort that there's been this level of software definition in the vehicle? Honda's responsibility for software in the car was kind of, the user experience or the HMI. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we collaborated with the GM software team to understand and define how we wanted to execute execute that. And it is very deep, mm-hmm. you know, and um, a lot of capability and a lot of, um, um, I guess, an, use the same word, bandwidth on what you can, sh- what you have information that you can produce to the customer. Yeah, so it's been really uh, 
a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. So our UX designers really had to learn and understand that kind of activity, that kind of development. Um, mentioned a couple times uh, mass. Yeah. That's obviously a challenge for EVs because batteries are heavy. And there's just, you know, there's no way around that. Um, so was there anything that you and your team were able to do in designing the, the structure, the top hat structure, or any other aspects of, of areas that you had responsibility for to help take some mass out of at least the prologue? Yeah, like the upper body. So that was um, on the development responsibility. So, you know, you had to optimize it for rigidity and, and, and making sure everything was attached and it met all the uh natural frequency and, and hardness and stiffness. Safety requirements. Yeah, safety requirements. So all of that at a system level, then as an entire vehicle level. So then you start looking for opportunities. You know, you punch out a big hole there and then see does the CA still support, uh, met, still meet all the requirements. So those are the kind of places where we try to optimize, go for the thinnest gauge, sheet metal. So we did all that and, and to try to reduce the, the mass. So especially on the EX front-wheel drive, because that was the long-range version, or mm. that's what we wanted to maximize the range on. So we had to reduce the mass on it as much as possible, rearrange features and things like that. Yeah, it was a big effort. Did you do, you know, in, in terms of materials used in the structure, did you do anything interesting, any kind of new materials, mixed materials, or is it kind of it's, an evolution of what you've been doing over the years with, like, with your ACE architecture? Yeah, I mean, we do have um, some hot stamp things like that, but it's pretty traditional in the way it's um, in, in the way, because we had to make sure it made it up with the LTM structure. So we really try to uh, kind of follow their lead on that. So looking forward now, you know, as Honda is developing its next generations of EVs, um, you know, what, what are some of the lessons learned from this vehicle? that you would like to see applied to future Honda EVs or actually any Honda vehicle for that matter. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's things that can be applied even on your internal combustion vehicles. I mean, I, I really enjoyed working on a EV platform because there's so much flexibility, like in the, where you can move the steering rack and have the wheels pushed out to the corners and pushed out. Those are kind of some interesting learnings that, um, you have that opportunity and you should leverage it, you know, to give the designers and the package engineers more freedom. But that is a, uh, that was pretty liberating how flexible and how, you know, yeah, because you know, the electric motors and the drive units are, are very compact yeah. and you know, you can, you're, you're less restricted in, in terms of where you can, where you need to put them compared yeah. to an engine. So there, it is, it does open up a lot of possibility for designers and packaging engineers. So it does, it is, it is pretty cool. And, 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 um, I hope we leverage that instead of making it more similar to something else, right? That you have that possibility. Well, based on the Series Zero concepts that we saw at CES a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's there's clearly a lot of a lot of potential for for doing something interesting. And yeah, everybody unique. wants to be creative and something yeah. different, so it's a perfect opportunity, and you have something that's literally just a skateboard, and you can really do something unique. Yeah. And then when you put when you can do drive by wire or you know steer by wire, then so when when do you expect to uh, get your prologue to be driving your family around in? I already have one. Okay. Um, that I'm driving every day, but yeah, soon. Okay. Soon I will have my own. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, John. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Okay. 
Uh, and we're back. And um, let's see. Sam. What do we got next? Uh, we talked about the RAM, talked about the prologue. Uh, have Have either of you had a chance to try out the Ineos Grenadier yet? No. no. It sounds like a drink. <laughs> it, it, should, like it, does, it does sound like it should be a drink. <laughs> So the, the the Grenadier is this uh, Ineos is a, a new uh, what is it British I think uh, automaker yeah. that is building uh, an off road SUV that borrows a lot from a design perspective from the old um, Land Rover Defenders the, I love the, that the, the classic yes, love it. Love the it, classic love Defenders it. yeah and the current the Grenadier which launched uh, late last year. And our friends at TFL actually just got one. They just bought one for a long-term test. Um, is fitted with uh, a BMW uh, three-liter twin-turbo inline-six, uh, lovely engine. Again, the best of all um, internal combustion uh, configurations. Um, and they're, those guys are testing one right now. Uh, but this past week, Ineos announced the Fusilier, which is essentially an electric version of the Grenadier. Which is kind of cool. It looks, I mean, I think that's a neat idea. Yeah. No, it makes, makes sense to do it. I think it's a good move and it, it looks fantastic. And yeah, I, you know. So they're working with Magna. So where are they, is Magna, are they going to source their motor from Magna? Are they sourcing it from somebody they, else? They, they might because, uh, you know, Magna, Magna is building motors. They, they have motors uh, that they can offer. <laughs> Um, it, the, the auto blog, uh, article says Sunclear of Magna will develop the Fusilier's powertrain options, or if Ineos, uh, will get them from somewhere else. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, yeah, Mag, I think Magna is actually going to be producing these vehicles, but not, it's, un, it's unknown if they will provide the powertrain or not. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays. I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how the powertrain issue plays out. Because building your own, especially for an automaker this small, is that's sort of insane. Yeah. And you know, there's there's options out there. You can you can Magna. You know, every tier one OEM. You know, tier one has some sort of electric motor. You can, you can get it. You can do what uh, Aston Martin's doing and get it from Lucid. You can yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean the 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 Fusilier is a little bit smaller than the Grenadier, uh, but you know has some of that same kind of design flavor to it um also has a lot of g-wagon in it it looks uh, very g-wagon yeah. very g-wagon yep. yeah so this should be coming in like 2026 2027 time frame cool but still a little ways out yep. they got a little while they got they got yeah. some time to figure it out yeah well speaking of electric suvs um on friday afternoon Actually, no, it's Friday morning. Uh, I went out to Auburn Hills, uh, and we had a, a roundtable with um, – oh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, um, I forgot his name. I, I know it, and I don't uh, – I wasn't there, but you sent it to us, so. Yeah. Um, Antonio Filosa. Uh, Antonio is the uh, the new C global CEO of the Jeep brand, um, and he's been with Stellantis, FCA, Fiat for – more than 20 years, uh, most recently was based at uh, their operations in South America. And he's been brought in. Um, he replaced uh, Christian Meunier, uh, who was previously the CEO of the Jeep brand. Uh, so he's been on the job now running Jeep for about three months. Uh, and so we had got a chance to uh, have a roundtable with uh, Antonio Filosa. 
um, learn some things about what they're changing at Jeep. uh, And they're making a bunch of changes, uh, responding to some of the falling sales that they've had the last couple of years. Um, And um, also about where the the brand is going uh, in the future. We also got a chance to actually see the Wagoneer S and the Recon in person. These are Jeep's first two battery electric vehicles for North America. Um, I like them a lot. Uh, I I was surprised when we walked into the room, this was a room in in the design center. Um, The the two concepts were there and they first showed these two back in 2022. Um, But they've only released images. They've never had these vehicles at an auto show or anything at any point in the last two years. Um, And, so this was the first time I think any of us uh, that were there uh, had seen these things in person. And I was surprised when I walked in the room and looked at the recon. It looks way bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, until, you know, you, you stand next to it and you start to look at the details. So the recon is a sort of Wrangler slash Bronco-esque off-roader. Um, and... You know, they haven't released any specific specs on either of these vehicles yet. Um, but the um, the the recon is said to have, and it, you know, appears to be about roughly the same footprint as a Wrangler. So similar overall length, overall width, overall height as a Wrangler. But its proportions are quite different from a Wrangler. It does have removable doors like a Wrangler or a Bronco. Um, hard top, but with a folding um, soft, uh, sunroof, moonroof thing. Uh, so you can get, you know, <laughs> the wide, wide open feeling. Um, and, you know, I said the removable doors, um, but unlike the, the Wranglers, you know, which have a fairly narrow body and then the wide fenders, you know, which means you end up with kind of a compact feeling cabin and interior. It's fairly, it's relatively cramped for the size of the vehicle. You know, this, you know, the body comes out more towards the perimeter like a Bronco. Um, and then again, because it's electric and there's no, there's no engine in the front, just the electric motor up there. They pushed the front bulkhead forward. So you've got a longer and wider passenger cabin. The And I think the, the reason why it looked so much bigger when we walked in is because the, the front end, you know, the hood and everything is so much wider because it comes out basically to the outer perimeter. So it's bo- it's boxier looking than a Wrangler. Um, and you don't have those, those wide, fe- you know, the narrow hood and the wide fenders. It's got a wide hood. But then when you look at it from the side, you realize how short the hood is. Um, so very different proportions from a Wrangler. Um, but, you know, very much intended to be an off-roader. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got good, uh, good-sized uh, cargo um area in the back um the you know both the front and second row uh seating looks much roomier than in a wrangler mm-hmm. um and then the uh the wagoneer s which we also saw you know looks um you know much more kind of grand cherokee-esque you know doesn't really look like the the big wagoneers um and the wag and despite what they said when they first showed these a couple of years ago, um, you know, when they talked about, you know, they said we're not, you know, this this probably won't be called the Wagoneer S. Um, you know, we're we're still looking at names for it. Now they've decided, yeah, we're just gonna call it Wagoneer S. <laughs> uh, 
And so um, the, the Wagoneer S is actually a little bit smaller and a little bit lower than the uh, Grand Cherokee, um, the current two-row Grand Cherokee. So this is a, a two-row SUV, very much an on-road vehicle. It's not, not an off-roader at all. Um, it looks really good. I mean, it's very, very sleek, very sharp looking, um, vehicle, um, you know, really nice upscale premium interior, you know, fitting with the Wagoneer, uh, nameplate. And, um, both of these vehicles are built on the Stella large platform, uh, which means that they will support, uh, up to 118 kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, and, uh, the, the Wagoneer S will have 600 horsepower. Um, and so there's going to be a bunch of several Stella large vehicles launching in the next 12 months, uh, including the Wagoneer S, the Recon, the Dodge Charger, um, and the first of the electric Chryslers uh, coming uh, next year as well. Um, so those are, those are all on this Stella large platform. Um, the Wagoneer S, like I said, is going to be a two motor, 600 horsepower. Um, they're not saying which size battery, but presumably that 118 kilowatt hour battery um, and, you know, well over 300 miles of range. Um, and the Wagoneer S um, actually starts production in the second quarter. So sometime in the next three months starts production, goes on sale in the summer. That's not far. No. Uh, so just, just a few months from now. And then the recon goes into production in Q4. Uh, we'll probably be on sale early in 2025. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, during the, uh, the, the conversation, um, you know, Felosa talked a lot about, you know, what's, what's happening with the, uh, with the Jeep brand. Um, you know, they've, they've recognized, you know, they've, they've had some challenges, maybe made some mistakes, and they're working to correct those. Uh, like, for example, one of those mistakes was trying to create a separate sub-brand for Wagoneer. Yeah, that was fascinating listening to that. The, the like, wait, we should just make this a Jeep conversation that seemed to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when, when, we, when we walked into the room and we saw the two vehicles sitting there and we walked around the, the Wagoneer S, you know, one of the first, and this was before the, the, the roundtable session started, one mm -hmm. of the first things we noticed was, oh, it says Jeep on the tailgate, which, you know, the, the current big Wagoneers do not. not. The, the only places you'll find the word Jeep are inside the headlamp uh, clusters and inside the taillight clusters. Everywhere else, it's missing. Um, but going forward, they're, they're, they've abandoned that plan to try and create this Wagoneer sub-brand. They're just going to be Jeep Wagoneers going forward. I, I'm curious as to what, and I don't know this because obviously this wasn't discussed in the the meeting, but or the the roundtable that you were at. But I wonder what made them think taking it out and making it its own sub brand was the way to go to begin with. I wonder what the rationale for what did you get that at all during the discussions? He didn't like, really get into that, but you know, from from what I've gathered previously from prior discussions, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, I think that they were trying. There, you know, obviously with the the big wagoneers, they were trying to go even more upmarket and compete, you know, against like, you know, the grand wagoneer was, you know, the regular wagoneer was kind of competing against, you know, Ford, Chevy, GMC. Right. The the grand wagoneer was competing against Lincoln Navigator, Cadillac, uh, Escalade, uh, and even, you know, potentially, you know, competing against the likes of Range Rover. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think they've decided that, you know, that was maybe a step too far right now. And, and just generally yeah. Jeep pricing, you know, they, they, they recognize that they, they went too far in going up market with Jeep pricing. They uh, lowered, is I following all that right? They've lowered pricing on pretty much everything and not just like a couple hundred dollars. Some of those like thousands of dollars off the MSRP over the last few months. Yeah. So uh, Wrangler, um, the prices, the MSRPs have stayed the same, but they've added $3,000 worth of content. So you're effectively, you know, okay. getting, getting options that were previously would have cost you an extra $3,000 at the same price. Now they're just there. All right. Uh, Gladiator, they've also added that $3,000 of content. Plus uh, they've dropped the MSRP by $1,700. Um, Compass, um, they've, um, they've dropped the base price of the Compass down to $25,900. So it's under, under 26 grand now for Compass. Uh, Grand Cherokee, they've cut the base price, cut the prices by $4,000. Um, significant numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and they're, you know, they're both adding equipment and, and cutting prices, you know, recognizing that, yeah, it's just, we, we got, we went too far on price. Not working. Yeah. yeah. We went too far. Yeah. We went too far. We got crazy. No. And you know, I mean, it's, well, it's good. Oh, oh. It's good to hear them acknowledge that. Well, there was a lot of conversation in there. It seemed like about, you know, how much inflation has impacted, the consumer in the U.S. and that by, you know, the initially having prices higher and having so much extra content being extra cost, it hit. It was hard for consumers in the mm-hmm. U.S. today. And you know, with it, what interest rates are doing, it's very hard to buy an expensive anything, whether it's a house or a car. So you do that. You're pricing people out if you ignore too much of that lower end of your segment. So by saying, well, we're just going to pull pricing down and increase the content. That's a good move. That's a really good move. And it, I, I would think that it would do well for the brand. Yeah, it, it should help. Um, let's see. They're targeting, you know, last year they were um, over 50% uh, market share for plug-in hybrids um, in, in total. Which is incredible. I know for, for Jeep. Um, you know, I mean, and yeah, I mean, they're two best selling vehicles, the Wrangler and the Grand Cherokee. You know, mm-hmm. both available as plug-in hybrids, so right. makes sense. Um, and they're adding more starting next year, adding more plug-in hybrids, uh, as well as adding the uh, the battery electric models um, for the uh, for the big wagoneer. Um, they are uh, in addition to make officially making them Jeeps again. Um, they're also simplifying the lineup. So you know, they that was one of the things. You know, in addition to cutting. Prices, you know, they're also working to cut costs and improve quality. So they're doing, you know, one of the things they're doing is usual simplification of the lineup, having fewer buildable combinations. Well, and they so. do have, especially for like Wrangler, there are eight, it's like buying a pickup truck. There are eight yeah. million permutations and combinations you can do for those. So it it's confusing. It's oh, really yeah. confusing. Very. Um, so um, they're, they're uh, starting with the Wagoneers. They're, they're simplifying that lineup. Um, I asked, you know, I asked uh, Antonio, you know, kind of what he sees as the um, the competitors for the Wagoneer S. Um, and he said, you know, obviously, you know, the biggest target is the Tesla Model Y, um, which is I thought was interesting. Yeah, clearly, you know, Model Y in terms of sheer unit volumes. Is um, the Model Y small? The Wagoneer S is much bigger, or is my it's a it's a little bigger? Okay, or the um, in general, I haven't seen. Yeah. It. Um, 
it's it's a, it's a bit bigger than the Model Y, but you know the Model Y is you know kind of the the benchmark in terms of sales and popularity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the the Wagoneer S is you know slightly bigger, but also um, you know going to be significantly more premium. So I think really you know where they're competing, um, you know, with this thing, you know, is probably against the likes of the Lyric, um, you know, some of the um, you know Audis, Mercedes Benz. Um, you know, those, those types of, you know, the EQE, mm-hmm. uh, the Q8 e-tron, um, I'll be, it'll be really interesting to see where they price this. Cause that's, that's what I was trying to get at with the question was, you know, Did they give you any indication of pricing on this one yet? No, no, but, but given what they're doing across the rest of the lineup, it, it, I think it makes sense that, you know, they are going to try to be fairly aggressive on the pricing. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to be cheap. But I would be, I would guess that it's probably going to be in the same, closer to the pricing of a Lyric than mm-hmm. say the Q8 e-tron. You know, that mm-hmm. Q8 e-tron I had last week, you know, was $96,000. You know, and they start in the upper 70s. That's that's high. Yeah. yeah. That- so I, I would guess they're probably going to try and get it, you know, maybe starting price under 60 grand, uh, you know, and maxing out somewhere around low 70s. That sounds fair. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, that's I mean, that sounds reasonable given where the brand has been. And if they're trying to alter that course a little bit, that sounds like fair pricing, Sam. Yeah. Um, and then um, the uh, for in terms of volumes, I mean, they're targeting more over 10,000 units next year for Wagoneer S. Hmm. Uh, they haven't said what the volumes, uh, what volumes they are targeting for the recon. So. Okay. Some interesting, uh, interesting well, things interesting. going on. There's the a lot of changes going on there, and I think that it has the t- potential to be good changes. It'll be interesting to see as everything, you know, right now, some of it is like we're going to, some of it's happened, some of it's happening. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see just even in six months where things stand. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, sometime next year, we'll see a plug in hybrid, uh, you know, four by E version of the Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and we'll see. There's also, you know, they've also they're also planning to launch uh, new and updated versions of other models as well. Um, I think we'll probably see, um, you know, refreshed, excuse me, refreshed versions of the the Compass, um, and uh, uh, you know, maybe even a new, um, you know, something in the the sort of the next class up, you know, Cherokee class. Because the Cherokee is gone, right? We have Grand Cherokee. It, but it, Cherokee yeah, it's gone. out of production now. And Renegade is gone, right? Yeah, right, Renegade. Renegade's, Renegade's, Renegade's gone Renegade from North left. America. That's what I thought. But um, but we'll you know we'll see we'll see something I think at least in the the class above you know something in between Compass and Grand Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what what they call it, whether it'll be in another Cherokee or they change the name to something else. I don't know. People are very sad about the loss of Cherokee. Yeah. Just because it was a good, it was a good size, you know, it's, it was, it was, Although a, it was not a huge point. seller. Yeah. Um, which is why that. they discontinued it. No, that makes sense then. Yeah, and its sales were declining for several years. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch what happens with Jeep, you know, and then, uh, oh, another question that was asked um, was, you know, whether we'll see, uh, you know, some, a range extended EV in the Jeep lineup, like the Ram charger, uh, you know, and the, the Ram charger we talked about before, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, is a, a range extended electric version of the Ram. 
which uses a Pentastar V6 that drives a generator, has no mechanical connection to the wheels. So all it's doing is it's driving generator to, to recharge the battery. Um, and, uh, you know, it would, you know, given that the Wagoneer, the big Wagoneer is based on the platform of the Ram, you know, it's a body on frame, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Filosa said, you know, we haven't made any decisions yet. You know, we're looking at it. Um, but I would be shocked if they don't uh, do a, essentially a Ram charger version of the, the big Wagoneer uh, yeah. in the next three years. That would make sense. I, I agree. I would not, I would be surprised if they didn't do something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else uh, on Jeep? Any other thoughts? No, I feel like that covers the Jeepy Jeep. Jeep, okay. Jeep, Jeep. Jeep, Jeep. Uh, the uh, Kia EV9 uh, will shortly be starting production in West Point, Georgia. Right now, they all come from Korea, uh, which means that at least the first stage of it being eligible for full federal tax credits um, will be met in that it'll be assembled in North America. Um, but then, of course, there's still the problem of you know the battery content uh, having to meet certain requirements. And uh, according to a report from Autoblog, um, at least initially, it, it may not get the full $7,500 tax credit. Um, the, uh, the batteries for these things are supplied by uh, SK On, um, which has a plant in, actually has two plants in Georgia that also supply um, Ford and Volkswagen. Um, and uh, presumably will at some point will also be supplying uh, Kia, uh, at least for a time until the new, um, until the new um, battery plants that, uh, that Hyundai is building right now that they have under construction come online. Uh, so it's possible that the, uh, the EV9 might only be available or might only be eligible for $3,750. Um, and it's not clear yet which, you know, whether it's based on the components, the battery components, which is things like the battery casings and modules and so on, uh, or the battery materials. Um, I think it's uh, apparently the battery packs will be supplied by Hyundai Mobis, which is another division of the larger Hyundai group. uh, It's a parts supplier. Um, And so the components may be coming from South Korea to start with. Um, and then, um, so it may be eligible based on the, uh, critical minerals rather than the components, but they do want to get, get it eventually, uh, eligible for the full 7,500, but they don't know what the time frame for that will be. Yeah. Or you can just lease it. Yeah. Damn. That'll, that'll yeah. Work. <laughs> or you just lease it. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And, um, Waymo, um, has, uh, had previously applied to the California Public Utilities Commission to expand their driverless robo-taxi service to the entire San Francisco Peninsula. So basically the whole area from San Francisco down to San Jose. Um, but uh, given what's been going on recently with crews and <laughs> other stuff, uh, the CPUC has put that application on hold until at least June. So Waymo will not be able to expand their service beyond the city limits of San Francisco for the time being. Mm. I guess it's not really that surprising though. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's your, finally, it feels like a CPUC is listening to the, 
the people who have to live with these vehicles and the the, the towns that have to live with these vehicles because they were just sort of you know barreling over like san francisco and the wants and needs of the people who live in san francisco and be like nah nah we're just gonna do it and they're like no we would we would not like this to happen they're like ah no. <laughs> we do what we want stop complaining stop complaining. <laughs> a bunch of whiners cars blocking uh and then ah. the, the the last one uh before we hit some listener questions uh is um gm bonuses um, you know, typically this is about the time of year when, you know, profit sharing bonuses, uh, are paid out, um, you know, sometime in late February or into March. Um, and, um, apparently this year, um, GM decided that 40% and, and 40% of bonuses for salaried employees, because, you know, generally the, the way these things work in corporate America is, you know, Part of you know the the formula for how much you get paid uh, for your bonus is based on overall corporate profitability, and then there's various com- other components like how much your particular division, how well your particular division did, and and some of the other uh, parts of the company. Um, so this year, forty percent of the bonuses for salaried employees will be calculated based on uh, the performance of the uh, EVs. Software and services and cruise divisions of General Motors, which have all just been going gangbusters this year. If you're looking for your big bonus, wah, wah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to spring on people. Yeah, I know. Is it something, is it like, did they just change this, Sam? Or was this like, hopefully people. It's a 2024 bonus. So I'm guessing at the end of this year. No, no, no. That's, that's their bonuses that are going to be paid out this, like this year, like in the next next several weeks. Oh man. That's a, yeah, that's rough. Cause I mean, EVs is something you have to do. So I'm like, all right, fine. Software, something you have to do. Okay. Cruise. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, Cruz lost, uh, what, about $3.5 billion last year. So everyone's bonus, 40% of their bonus is them paying GM some money. Yeah, I mean, GM was <laughs> was hugely profitable last year. Yeah. You know, so, they, you know, at least you know 60% of their bonus will be based on that, you know. And then the other 40%, you know, will be based on the performance of divisions of the company that have frankly done really poorly in the well, past no, year. they sold a lot of, of, of Chevy Bolts. Yeah, so there you pretty go. much every one of those probably at a very significant loss. No, I'm every time they tell me that I feel like if you're talking about overall, like well we've spent a lot of money in stock, you know, but I think as as vehicles individually they're making money on those cars. Uh, I doubt it. I don't. I'm, it, I'm, I'm sixty thousand. No, it's the economies of scale. You're selling sixty thousand dollar, sixty over sixty thousand vehicles. I feel like they've. I think that's a they're they're going to do some the Batman. Um, it's the Batman math. Yeah. For the, they try to figure out how to make sure that Jack Nicholson didn't make any money off Batman. They're like, <laughs> oh, I didn't really make any profit. And we're like, hmm. <laughs> but I think I think you know the losses on everything else, you know, everything Ultium related, will probably more than offset anything they might have made on Bolt. Yeah, that's true too. Um, and then you know with all you know on the software and services side. You know, it's just such a mess there. That yeah, sorry, Jim. So feel feel, feel sorry for those people. Yep. Really, sixty percent of their money is coming. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they'll still get a very healthy bonus, just not as much as they might have hoped for. Man, that cruise hit. That's a... The cruise thing is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Like, I didn't even like self-driving cars. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting the pool, just like it's just like the Griswolds. Yeah. We're not getting the pool. Yeah. All right. We got uh, we got several listener questions this week. Let's answer those. Okay. Uh, first up, Rick from Utah. This is a fairly long one, so we'll go through it in parts. Uh, so Rick, you hey are verbose. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> long, long time listener, Patreon member. Well, he's a Patreon member, so I will be I will verbose. give him credit for that. So okay. You can be Yay. as verbose as you like. <laughs> uh, um, by that, by that, by that McLaren. <laughs> I thought I'd report back and ask another question. Uh, you gave me and my wife some good recommendations about a new car purchase. I couldn't get my wife to go for the Kia EV6. She has range anxiety and the infrastructure is lacking in Utah. Uh, but we went from we went with a Sorento plug-in hybrid, the uh, best of both worlds. Had it for three weeks, and we are loving it. But here's my question: How can we keep dealers honest? Oh man! Oh god! Uh, gee, I'm sorry, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just end it there. We don't. <laughs> yeah, let's ask. That's as easy. You can next. <laughs> uh, I purchased a Mach-E two years ago from Young Ford in Ogden, Utah. Uh, during my first visit, I was given a service report. Uh, for a combustion engine, it was told that I needed a drive belt and engine air filter for his Mach-E. Oh, my gosh. I was not a happy camper. <laughs> the only reason I went back was the complimentary service with my purchase. During my last visit, I was told that I needed to have my brake rotors turned. Uh, when I pressed further, I was told that they always recommend brake pads with that service. Long story short, I got a second opinion and was told that due to me using the one-pedal D-cell uh, and regenerative braking, they looked practically new. How do I know when they are lying? You don't. Uh, their lips are moving. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it says time is money. So, yes, they were lying to you. You almost certainly, you know, if you got a second opinion and they said your your brakes are fine, you're, yeah, you're fine. You don't need brake, to have your brake pads turned. last so much longer because of regen. So <laughs> and, your rotor should be pretty, yeah. <laughs> and even, even with internal combustion engine cars, you know, I've never had to have brake rotors turned after just two years. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, what is what yeah. do you do? Yeah. I mean, un unless unless you are taking this thing to the track and over over you know really severely overheating the brakes all the time, yeah, and you've warped them, uh, you almost certainly don't. I mean, let me put it this way: if you can drive down the road and press down on the brake pedal and you don't feel any pulsing, you know, without without getting into ABS, if you don't feel any pulsing in the brake pedal, mm -hmm. you don't need your rotors turned. The only time your rotors need to be turned is if you've warped the rotors. So um, I can, you know, if, you're, if your brake pedal is smooth, you don't need to get them turned. You're fine. Uh, it says, during our recent uh, purchasing of our new Sorento, okay, don't laugh too hard, at Young Kia in Layton, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I actually like the Sorento, and I like the Sorento plug-in hybrid. It's a No, really I think he's talking vehicle. about Young because yeah. it's the same. It's Young yeah. Ford and Young Kia. Oh, okay. Yeah, Young Ford. The same, it's yeah. the same dealer network. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't caught that. Um, we had this encounter. According to the Kia website, this was the only dealer in Utah to have any Sorento PHEVs in stock. Because my wife hates car shopping, she makes me go do the haggling. Uh, I asked what would be the best price that they could give me. I was given a quote. When I got home, something looked funny on the quote. The color mm -hmm. of the car didn't match. Luckily, the VIN was on the quote. Those, through some research, I found that the vehicle on the quote was sold last year, and it was last year's model. When I questioned the dealer, I was told it was a typo. 
I was then given a new quote that was about $5,000 more than the original quote because of different rebates and dealer accessories that were installed on the car. Uh, those dealer accessories. Yeah. Uh, every time. I, I held them to the original price, but how many people would have just paid the, deal, the extra or walked away? New cars are an investment and expensive. Dealers are few and far apart. Well, in, in most, at least in most urban areas, they're not that far apart. Um, but maybe in, in Ogden, I'm, I'm not sure how many dealers you got around there. Anyway, the dealers, the, the, this dealer is the nearest, but still 50 miles away. I can't go down the street to a different dealer, but it also seems like there is a monopoly on them. I know there have been many books written about the subject, but what else can be done? It's not the vehicles or the manufacturers, it's the dealers. Just wondering about your thoughts on this subject. Thank you all. Thanks for all you do. Keep it up. And here's the, 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 the sad part is a lot of people, they, they conflate the, the dealer with the auto brand, with the brand. So yeah, because you see, that, you see like, that brand on the sign, you know, yeah. Ford or General, you know, Chevrolet or Kia or Hyundai. I'll never buy another Ford again because this dealership did a thing. You're like, well, it wasn't Ford who did this. It was the dealership. I had an OEM once say that was one of her biggest frustrations. I was talking about something that would have gone, gone on with my car. And she's like, geez, they could have made that right for such a small expense. He's like, we hate, she's like, you know, we hate to hear that because everyone thinks the brand is terrible and it's just some dealer who didn't want to spend $200 to make it right. Or when the brand would have been like, here's $200, make it right for the customer. You know, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. It's really tough, especially when you're, when, you know, with, uh, with, um, Rick's issue where, you know, sometimes you're, you don't, you know, I'm from, I'm just going to say it again. I'm from a small town. And when we went to go to buy a car once I had about, you know, 45 minutes away to, to Lancaster to buy the car. And they kept telling me they didn't have a car that I wanted. And they kept telling me and they kept telling me after hours and hours, they're finally like, oh, you know what? We do have a car that fits what you want. They were just trying to unload another vehicle on me. And I was just like, no, no, no. Because I have a dead face when I when I deal with the dealers. I'm just like, no. We would like to tell you, I'm like, no. Well, it's already installed. I'm like, I don't care. Take it off. Yeah. I'm like, I will leave. I don't care. But it's difficult because you get, you know, you have all these people coming at you. They're throwing all these numbers. You have the finance person who comes in with crazy math that doesn't really make any sense. We had a dealer that said to us, he literally put on the one of the first car that I think we bought when we were married. They literally put on um, extended warranties that upped the cost of my car by like $150 a month. And I was like, why is this more than what I just talked to you about 30 seconds ago? Well, it's the warranties that I told you I didn't want any. And his actual response was, well, we've already done up the paperwork. And I was like, okay, well, too bad. Tear it up. Do it That's again. Not my fault. It doesn't, that paperwork doesn't have my signature on it. Right. And so. he's like sitting there like with the paper. Well, I already, we already did the paperwork. I said, I already I don't care. The paperwork again. Sorry, get, get, get chopping. But like, that's the kind of thing they do. And they've been doing it forever and i don't see it changing because enough people would just say fine whatever i don't care or they just agree to it or they don't catch it and then it's too late because you bought the car so they do it hoping hoping that they'll kind of sneak one by you and i don't think there's any way to you can't make a dishonest person or a dishonest business honest you just can't they just have to choose to do that yeah that's yeah you you, you, you call them out and call them out but at the end of the day they don't really care yeah (laughs) Because yeah. <laughs> we, because we, because everyone's been calling out dealerships for for years. I mean, there's markups.org, which calls out all the markups that you know the insane markups mm-hmm. that dealers are doing, um, and it's still. I mean, you you as a as a consumer, you know, try to maybe be willing to travel a little bit to get the vehicle that you want, um, unless you're Rick who already has to travel <laughs> to get yeah. the vehicle that they want. Um, 
and just hold steady. That's the thing. You gotta, you really just gotta hold steady. Like, you know what? I'm, you know, like, like Rick did. And then this is why people were like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I had a friend who was in an accident with a Prius that he had forever. He was gonna drive this Prius into the ground. Someone backed, someone ran into him. He's like, oh, I have to go buy a car. And he just didn't want to deal with dealerships. So he just went out and got a, he literally went out and bought a Tesla because of that. Mm-hmm. Not the deal. It's just like, what's it cost? This much? All right, fine. And that's it. That's all. There's no, no one's yeah. coming up to you like, oh, by the way, let me. Uh. <laughs> until until the next week, you saw the news report that they they just dropped the price of. They that dropped the price, by, yeah, by ten thousand dollars. Right. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So there's that. So you know, you, you just, maybe we just don't buy cars anymore. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, get a horse. You know, it, we're it, all it, getting it, bicycles. It, you know, it's a tough situation, you know, for Rick, you know, because he's got to drive, you know, 50 miles anyway to get to this Kia dealer. And, you know, for, you know, the, the, the domestic brands, you know, GM, Ford, Stellantis, you know, they have a lot more dealers typically than any mm-hmm. of the, the foreign brand vehicles. And so it's generally a lot easier to find alternate dealers. Um, although, you know, when you're you know, in a place like Utah, for example, you know, or a lot of Western states, you know, where, you know, in a particular city, you know, there might be a dealer there, but there tend to be, you know, longer distances between cities where there's, you know, there's not a lot of car dealers there, you know, here, you know, in, in most other urban areas, you know, you've usually got a choice of more dealers. And so you, you have that option to go to a different dealer. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the case for Rick. You know, and I'm I'm not sure, you know, other than, you know, other than telling him, you know, to, you know, if you don't, if there isn't another dealer for the brand you want, you know, to go to a another uh, another brand, um, that's obviously not viable anymore because you already bought the Sorento. Um, but you know, if you're in other areas, uh, then you know, at least when it comes to service, um, you know, you can. Like, you know, you buy a Ford or, or even you buy a Kia, you know, you don't have to go to the dealer you bought it from. You can go to any Kia dealer. Right. Um, and so if there are other dealers in, you know, within a reasonable distance of you, if you don't like the way your dealer is servicing, and especially for, for warranty stuff, you don't have to take it to the dealer. You absolutely don't have to take it to the dealer you bought it from. You can, you can take it to any dealer because, you know, they're going to do the warranty work and they're going to, they're just going to build the manufacturer for that. Um, so you can, you can take it any, literally take it anywhere you want and they'll, you know, they will perform the service. Um, and if you can find a dealer that provides better service, take your vehicle there. And then the next time you're ready to buy something, you know, think about, you know, going to that dealer, you know, if you like the service you got from that dealer, like, you know, if, if you can find a, a Ford dealer that doesn't insist on turning the brake rotors on your Mach-E, um, you know, then Next time you're ready to buy one, go to that dealer instead. You know, take your business elsewhere if if you can. You know, obviously that's not always a viable option, but if you can, you know, that's that's really the yeah. only option that we have. That yeah. and and write to us and let us help shame these dealers like Young Kia um, <laughs> and, and Young Ford. So, uh, all right. Next up, uh, Neil from Ohio. This is a, a somewhat more, a somewhat shorter email. Uh, says, uh, "Do you need? Do you really need an electrically operated parking brake when we have a parking pall? Uh, should I just disable it?" So, for those not familiar, uh, in an automatic transmission, there is a special separate gear with very large teeth 
uh, and there's a little thing when you put your car in park, there's a basically a little lever that gets that gets activated and it notch it it goes into those very large teeth that that gear is called the parking pawl and that's what um you know when you put it in park that's what keeps the car from rolling back and forth uh and it basically locks it in place um and uh on most uh you know all automatic vehicles have a parking pawl uh not all electric vehicles have a parking pawl though um and the on modern vehicles we also have electric parking brakes uh, electrically activated parking brakes you really can't disable that um you uh you know it's activated through using the uh the abs or stability control hydraulic unit uh so when you uh hit the 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 switch for the electric parking brake it um basically it pressurizes the rear brake line and then closes a valve that you know that is norm uh is closed when you de-energize it so it just holds the pressure in there so it's not like the old days uh with the cable that was activated by the lever uh, or foot pedal. Um, so you really can't deactivate it. And also um, it's required by law, by Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 105, requires a parking brake that can hold the vehicle on a 30% grade for five minutes. Uh, so that's why it's we still, have- It's been a little better because the poly, your, your car rocks back and forth. Just that's a quick thing you just want to point yeah. out. Okay. Uh, is that- uh, Oh, Nicole, do uh, you need to uh, jump? I need to jump, guys. So okay. I will see you all next week. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Uh, all right. Two more. Uh, Adam Jackalenko asked, uh, hey, team, would love if Robbie could check out, if he hasn't already, uh, and review the new indoor Electrify America station on the podcast at some point. Seems like a great idea. Well, fun fact, I'm actually supposed to write this up for Ars Technica, and I was going to try to go there today or tomorrow. So that's my oh. – so, yeah, so I'm already, it's already on the uh, docket for, for me to run in and okay. uh, try this place out in San Francisco. Um, it's an excuse to go into the city and get burritos and, of course, also – Oh, can you grab me one too? Yeah, everyone gets a burrito. Everyone, if you want a burrito, put your order in now. Okay. I will take steak. Um, all right. Finally, Ed asks, uh, thank you uh, for providing excellent insight uh, about large tire sizes affecting range on vehicles. What is the law of diminishing returns on tire size? Can someone put even smaller tires and rims than stock on any car and get more range? Uh, are there tires that are more efficient and extra quiet to specifically absorb sound? Is there a way to make uh, making an ICE engine very quiet from an engineering standpoint point of view? Uh, and I have a Kia Nero PHEV and the ICE engine sounds loud and grumbly at low speeds. Wish I could mute it significantly. So first up, um, going to smaller wheels and tires is not necessarily beyond, beyond a certain point is not necessarily going to give you more range. Those wheels and tires will be lighter. We'll have less rotational inertia. But as you go to smaller wheels and tires, they're also going to be rotating faster um, to uh, to for a given speed. And so, you know, one of the things you'll notice on you know most vehicles is that regardless of the wheel and tire size, they they follow this kind of plus one plus two philosophy where they they make the wheels bigger, uh, but then the tires get um, smaller. Um, uh, sidewalls, smaller aspect ratio for the sidewalls. Uh, so you maintain roughly similar uh, um, rotating diameter 
of the wheel and tire. And as you go to bigger and bigger wheels, those things get heavier and you're putting more of that weight concentrated at the outer perimeter of the wheel and tire. Um, and so that's what's hurting your range. But going to a smaller diameter wheel and tire means that the wheel is going to have to rotate faster. So your engine, your motor is going to be spinning faster. So you're probably not going to gain any range. Going to a smaller wheel with a taller sidewall tire, that is where it may help. And also a little bit narrower tire, you know, a little bit, a little bit less rolling resistance, a little bit less air drag. So that's that's where that's going to help. Um, and then tires that are efficient and extra quiet. Um, yeah, I mean. Tire makers are working on making quieter and quieter tires. Some uh, like Michelin, for example, and I think Bridgestone also has some tires that actually have a strip of foam inside the tread on the inside of the tire to help absorb uh, noise. And especially some of that rumbling sound, that low frequency rumble you get from the roads uh, helps break up some of those sound waves inside the tire uh, and reduces tire noise. They also change the the uh, tr- the 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 tread pattern. The pattern, the tread yeah. pattern, because if the pattern is exactly the same, you end up with this like uh, a tone. Ooh. So if you if you change it up, it 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 disrupts that tone. It's a it's pretty like tire tire technology is pretty crazy. And yeah, they they especially for the EVs because there's no engine noise. Suddenly the tires sound a lot louder. So yeah, they put foam in them and yeah. and make them more efficient. Um, and then uh, any way of making an IC engine very quiet. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, engineers are always looking at how to reduce the noise, vibration, and harshness, you know, and there's a lot of things that cause noises, uh, you know, everything from like the design of the block and the head, you know, the castings, you know, and when you, when you look at, when you look at an engine, you'll see all kinds of assorted ribs in various places on the the castings. Um, you know, some of that is for strength, you know, to give it strength in certain places where it needs it, uh, to keep it from twisting and cracking. Um, but some of it is also for, for noise to dampen vibrations that happen. Um, and so from, from a consumer perspective, there's probably not anything you can really do. Get a better uh, stereo, car stereo. Yeah. <laughs> just get a, get a more uh, or you could just you know you do you do like subframes like like you know high-end yeah. luxury vehicles well, like, you know, the engines would be on subframes that reduce sound but for like us for regular folks once we have the car just get a really nice stereo some good speakers just to... yeah. get some you know put in some noise noise canceling earbuds yeah yeah um and uh you know the nero um you know the the engine you know it, it's you know that's a relatively low end engine, um, you know, and it's it's also you know designed for efficiency, um, you know, so it's probably probably idles at lower speeds than some other engines. Um, I thought the Nero plug-in had uh, active noise cancellation, but maybe it doesn't. Um, so um, there's probably not a whole lot you can do. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And that's it for this week. Um, We will see you all or talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day.
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.